What's up, group? How you guys doing? How you guys doing? All right, well, we got a special guest today that I want to introduce. And first and foremost, we can't just say his name. There's, we got to tell the truth here. Now, many of you will probably have heard of Perry Mason and, you know, Matlock and people like Jerry Spence and F. Lee Bailey. Forget about those people. They're nothings, okay? That's, they're a joke. Okay, we have, as a guest today, first of all, he's a Tri-C member. That's a good thing. But more importantly, he is the world's toughest lawyer. He's also probably, in his own words, the sexiest lawyer that ever lived and ever will live. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Well, somebody has to, you know, because Joe thinks he's the sexiest in everything. We have to keep him in his place. But anyway, it's the one and only Andre Verdun. Welcome to the podcast, Andre. Hey, Tony. It's so great to be here. I, I, I miss talking with you, and uh, I'm so glad to be here with uh, Joe and Nico. Uh, I, I've, I think I've listened to almost every single episode, so... Uh, you're the one up with the, yeah i've been keeping up with the with the excitement and and uh comparing me to uh, uh jerry spence uh wow that's <laughs> well there there is no comparison you're you blow him away i mean come on johnny cochran please i mean this is andre verdun here okay this is like the, your initials, AV, you know, audio-visual. You get them with, with your audio, the, your oratory, with your visual presentation. I mean, come on, man. So, Tony, there was this one time I was doing a wrestling match in New Jersey, and uh, I was fighting this guy homicide, and uh, him and I were <laughs> – Now, was this in the court or – No, no, no. This was in a, at a wrestling ring. Uh... See, we didn't, we didn't do a proper introduction, so law is your <laughs> hobby, but what is yeah, your right. passion? So what else do we – why have we really brought you on here? As much as we need legal advice, probably. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not sure why you guys would bring me on here. I think that's a really bad idea. <laughs> we had nothing better to do tonight. You, know? <laughs> you guys have that explicit warning, right? I'll try not to use too many F words. Um, so, yeah, I'm a professional wrestler. Um, I ran a wrestling promotion in Los Angeles for several years and wrestled uh, in different promotions and uh, became very popular at one point for doing the, the death match wrestling, the barbed wire rope matches and um all kinds of crazy stuff uh then transition from that to being a lawyer um which is in many ways the same job <laughs> a little less blood <laughs> but i so i do criminal defense work and i i sue police officers for civil rights violations i sue corporations i sue banks represent people and so um uh well that's me uh going back to the story though so i was doing a, a match in uh in new jersey once and I was wrestling this guy, and he told me, like, uh, 
I just had a concussion, so don't hit me in the head. So I said, okay, cool. So we went out there and doing this match, and um, I, it was kind of crazy. I come backstage, and I had this big black eye. And I was not happy about that because I was supposed to start trial the following Monday in, in San Diego. So uh, San Diego, I go down to court. I, I see my client who's dressed really nice. And I said, okay, well, let's go inside the courtroom and see if uh, the, the prosecutor's here. And we walk inside, and the bailiff looks at me, looks at my client, looks at me and says, defendants <laughs> have to wait outside. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm the attorney. And he's like, oh, what happened to your freaking eye? And then that's when the story of uh, me being a wrestler got out. So now every time I go to the courts in uh, San Diego, they're always asking for, for DVDs and stuff. So um, uh, that, that's one of the times that I uh, came into uh, uh, court pretty messed up because of the wrestling matches. So I got to ask, like, was this something you, you loved as a kid? How, how does someone get into this? Like, t- tell, tell oh, us. Oh, being a lawyer? Yeah, it's... Uh, you go to <laughs> yeah, you used to watch all the law shows and get all amped up and put on a suit and run around so 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 i assume you're talking about wrestling right um yeah i was like obsessed with with pro wrestling as a child uh the nwa and uh became the promotion i really followed uh like the jim crockett promotion out in uh uh carolinas and stuff like that but uh you know as i got older it was like the only uh interest i had was getting into pro wrestling and uh my path was a little unique though because uh because I was such a big wrestling fan, I started hosting these backyard wrestling matches in my backyard. And so, uh, and at the time we were watching the ECW promotion. So they were, they were trying to do, you know, the hardcore style wrestling with the blood and broken tables and all that uh, stuff. And uh, so we were having these backyard wrestling shows and we were creating these barbed wire rings and filling up with light tubes and stuff. And then uh, video of these got out at at my high school. And they started circulating. And then all of a sudden, we'd be doing these wrestling shows. We'd have like 300 people showing up to my house to watch these wrestling matches. So we were pretty much outdrawing all the independent promotions in California. And um, then it made the newspaper. Then I ended up on 2020 and then did a host of talk shows. And uh, that actually uh, got me into the offices of XPW, which was like a hardcore wrestling promotion that was uh, trying to build on the ECW uh, uh, you know, interest at the time. So I started off there. Then I went to uh, uh, Las Vegas and started training with Nick Bonkwinkle, old school guy, and uh, Jimmy Snuka. He was a pretty big star in the 80s. And uh, Scott Casey, who's uh, he's still around. He, he was a, a fairly big star in the 70s and 80s. And um, then from there, mostly stayed in California, but I did some, some trips you know, around the country a little bit. And then uh, I ended up signing a deal with MTV to do a TV show. And uh, we did season one and the show got, uh, they, they aired the first season, but then it got shelled because of some lawsuit, I guess. And I decided that was a good opportunity for me to jump from wrestling to, to law school. And so that's what I did. So you started much crazier job. Being was a it about high school? You said when you started putting on these shows or. Oh, I actually started the back of wrestling shows. when I was in elementary school, but it was like in high school <laughs> when we started doing like really crazy shit. I mean, when we were in like elementary school, it was just, us having these legit fights in the in the backyard and then the winner gets to hold up the, the cardboard wrestling belt um and then we started like staging them we kind of figured out like it's actually the same track pro wrestling went right first it was a legit fight and then people realized well if we start staging this stuff and pretending we're doing all this stuff uh we'll draw more fans and that's kind of what we did so um 
we started staging um, uh, these wrestling matches and bleeding and all the crazy stuff that uh, we were doing back then, jumping off the roofs onto each other. I, I, I watched some of that stuff. I'm not sure how I'm still walking, to be honest with you. Um, is that so, real? Uh, is that real blood, or is that? Oh yeah, yeah. Blood? I mean, you can see all the scars in my head still. So you, um, so you actually take like a razor and cut yourself. When we were, that was after I became a pro wrestler and figured out you don't really need to use the cheese grater to get the blood going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't figure out the, the, the gigging thing until uh, I became a pro. Um, no, we were literally cutting each other with like, we'd, we'd find things that could draw blood with like the least amount of pain. And then we would cut each other with these things. Um, we weren't very smart. Um, so, uh, but that's actually how I met Tony because, um, you know, when I was younger, I was real into the theatrics of pro wrestling. And, uh, then, um, it was probably about 2002 or so. And that date could be wrong because, um, uh, Luthez passed away soon after I met him, but uh, I went to the Cowflower Alley convention in Las Vegas and I met Luthez and, um, I approached him because he was selling some books and I had him uh, autograph one for me. And we ended up becoming really good friends. You know, I should say really good friends. We ended up hanging out that whole weekend. Like when we had meals together, it was a really good time. And uh, he was telling me that if you really wanted to be a serious pro wrestler, you had to learn how to fight. You had to learn a, a legitimate martial arts. And so when I was picking his, his brain about that, I said, well, who do I go to if I really want to learn um, legit, catch wrestling and he said there's only one person left that's gonna be a true hooker after i and two other names that he mentioned uh had died and all the people are dead now and he said it's this guy tony Chikini in chicago ah. so i didn't start training with him right away but i kept that name down and i and i started following him on the internet and started uh planning that one day i would uh, uh touch bases with him and you know soon i did i finally i did after a while um, but, uh, Tony or Lou told me that, uh, there ain't many hookers left in this world, but Tony's one of them. And he's the only one that's really going to be able to teach you how to be a legitimate catch wrestler, a legitimate hooker. And, um, uh, and in fact, I actually seen a video years later of him, uh, repeating that same statement. So that's actually how I hunted down and started stalking, uh, Tony. And I've been stalking him ever since. Yeah, I got to get a lawyer, man. <laughs> I got to, I got to put a stop to this. Let's see. Did no Perry Mason never lost the case? I don't think uh, Matlock might have. I don't follow that, but we're going to have to find somebody. You're getting old enough to start watching Matlock, actually. Oh, uh, you're on. Well, you know, when Andre, yeah. Now, murder she wrote too. Let, I think that's. That let me be. just say something about Andre. Now, I've trained literally, well, tens of th uh, just thousands upon thousands. If you if you factor in seminars and all of that stuff, but. Really, I've trained a lot of fighters, professional, amateurs, just average Joes, just big, strong, former NFL football players, you name it. Tough, you know, this and that. But I've never met any human being that has the pain tolerance of Andre, okay? Well, and I think, you know, that backyard wrestling, that extreme wrestling, I don't know if that's the reason he got into it or his pain tolerance is so high because of that. But he does have a – um high pain tolerance and i like that because you know i can i can really show things without you know somebody you know tapping or screaming before you know too long um 
you know, so yeah, Andre and he's, and he's gifted, you know, and he had a great crew in LA. Uh, man, I, I miss that, you know, with the ring and just a bunch of people, male, female didn't matter. Um, we yeah, had, I was, we had fun. Yeah. I was really trying to teach those guys to kind of, uh, you know, respect and honor the, the roots of pro wrestling. And you remember, um, um, Luke Perry's son that you used to, yeah, yeah he's actually at AEW now, one of the bigger wrestling promotions now. So he's on TV every week. Yeah. Nationally. Tell him I said, hello. Yeah. I remember training him. Nice, nice kid. He was working at what at an in and out burger or something, whatever you call it out there. A polo, I, I think it was. Yeah. Some, some place just unassuming, but you know, on that, uh, let me just jump in here about you wanted to teach him the history and all that, but that extreme stuff, the way, the way you guys are, you know, carry yourself, like, you know, death matches and you guys, I mean, those types really need to learn this stuff because you, you know, you're going to find some, some jag off that thinks he's tough and, you know, in the audience or wherever, and it's going to want to try you. So, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's why, you know, you got to know how to fight where some wrestlers, you know, they, they don't come off like that. They're just more, you know, mellow or mild, but yeah, man, um, you had a very nice setup. Now, Folks, um, Andre would fly me out to San Diego. That's where he was living at the time. Um, and so I had, been to L- I had been to California before, mainly Northern California, but I had been to Hollywood and um, Beverly Hills and did a couple, you know, few seminars over there. Um, and I'm, I, I've driven through in the past. I had driven through San Diego to go to Tijuana, which that's a, a classic story there. But anyway, what was neat was – so Andre drove us from his house in San Diego to L.A., which was a couple hours at least, two, two and a half hours. Something. Two hours, yeah. Yeah. And so it's nice because you get to know the guy. You know, I was staying with him. And, you know, you get, you, you know especially he was enrolled in the Tri-C program, which I want to get to know that guys. So he had, he had come out here to Chicago a few times and brought, um, you know, his training partner and everything. And it was all cool, man. It was just – it was a good time. But I got to tell you, man. San Diego was difficult for me because it seems like I was, it's like in a valley or something. You had all these hills and everything around you, and I could never quite get oriented there. Um, but we didn't have a lot of time for socializing. Um, but because, uh, you know, the two-hour trek and back, that's four hours right there plus working out. But I got to meet on one of the trips. I, I met his family, wonderful, wonderful people. His dad knows hell of a lot about cars man that's what he did for a living um but they're not i think you should probably tell them you're not native californians no no i'm from louisiana the the new orleans area um is that what you're referring to or was yeah. that one of your jokes <laughs> no 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 time for jokes for the you, you'll sue me i can never no. tell what you told me <laughs> <laughs> all right well they're, they're coming because you bring the best out or the worst out of me but no people think californian you're talking about it yeah, I know that those Californians are pretty serious about, is he a native? Oh, you know, like native yeah. New Yorkers, you know. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm from California because, uh, you know, I really identify with California, like as far as the politics, and the way of thinking. But uh, no, actually, my family is uh, like deeply rooted in uh, the New Orleans area and uh, part of the, uh, the Homa Indian Nation tribe, actually. And I heard that they were pretty crazy. So that may be uh, where some of my... Uh, uh, dumbest ideas came from um <laughs> but uh yeah you know i think that the the pain tolerance thing is an interesting subject because um i used to like letting people punch me in the face <laughs> we <laughs> this, can tell this, this, yeah 
it's amazing that I can even do the job that I do today. Um, and I don't mean like just for fun, like, hey, punch me in the face. But like when we get in fights, like I would make them punch me in the face. I'd make them take the first punch because it would never phase me. And then after that, they would get so scared that it was pretty easy to, to and I fought a lot. I, I fought a lot. I still fight sometimes. Um, but uh, that was always kind of a, um, uh, a strategy of mine um, to let them take the first shot. Now, I'm lucky that no one who actually knew what they were doing took the first shot because I've been <laughs> laid out on the ground. <laughs> but luckily, most of the people I got, got into a fight with uh, didn't really know how to throw a, a proper punch. Um, but uh, um, it, it's interesting because uh, I always kind of wonder where that comes from, like pain tolerance. Because you have some people who when you're trying to like train them, whether it be pro wrestling or whatever, it's like you almost get frustrated because um, as you start to work with them, it's like every little thing either hurts them or they need to take a break constantly and like settle their nerves. Whereas other people um, work through that. So where does that come from, Tony? Cause you know, you've, you've trained a whole lot more people than I've trained. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, there is a medical condition where, and you don't want to have this condition. Uh, it's very rare, but there are people out there who feel literally nothing, absolutely nothing. And you think that's, oh, wow, it's, it's no good because you can burn yourself, not know it. You can break a leg and, and walk on it, not know it. Um, a few years ago, I read about a little boy who, who was suffering from this, you know, and he would have, you know, these injuries and, you know, he would never know because he was never in pain. But I think, um, like, I, I got a good pain tolerance, at least I think I do. Um, I, I think that to a degree, I was, I think I was born with it. I mean, I don't remember doing anything, but maybe because with, with my coach, uh, Rod Von roughing me up constantly yeah. or, or boxing at such a young age, some of it is psychological. Let's put it this way. That's my point. So I think if you get exposed to pain early, you, you don't fear it. You, you, you come to accept it. Now I'm not talking about getting like, you know, massive, you know, things, but then your body goes in shock over that. So, yeah, getting most of the people scream, tap from shock or fear, okay? Mm -hmm. And I don't mean shock like your, your body's going in shock, but just surprise. Surprise out of yeah, uh, right in that pain, yeah. Yep, yep. So, uh, it, and it's that fear of the unknown, you know. Um, well, look, here's a classic example. Like if you ever would go to like one of those haunted houses or something, um, all of a sudden somebody will jump out and startle you, man. You oh, you scream or whatever. No pain, nothing, but it was just something that you weren't expecting. You know, you were anticipating what's going to happen, what's going to happen, because you're in a haunted house, and boom, it happens. And I think that's what happens with a lot of training. You know, people get, you know, they get this, they feel this, and they're like, oh, shit, what's going to happen here? Is he going to break my arm? Is he going to break my leg? They scream. Um, and ironically, you know, without dropping names, I've had pro fighters, man, that, you know, just didn't have that pain tolerance. But when you're in an actual fight, you mm -hmm. know, then, you know, your adrenaline kicks in. In the gym, many times your adrenaline does not kick in, or it does when you're first, let's say, meeting someone, meeting me or somebody that you're training with, you get nervous, but that passes, right? And now you don't have the adrenaline. Yeah, so, adrenaline's um, everything. That's everything. You know, I'll be walking through my house sometimes and I'll step on a thumbtack and I'll like, I'll fall to the ground and like hold my foot. People are like, right. you fall on dozens of those at a time in wrestling matches. And I'm like, yeah, but the adrenaline. <laughs> That's One thumbtack, you're not expecting it sucks. You know, I, I'm glad because I think I was good. I don't know if I ever did a video on that, but I was going to if I didn't, because that's exactly right. It's all about mental preparedness. 
you know, you got to be prepared for it. Yeah, when you stub your toe or something, it comes out of the blue, and, man, oh, my God, it feels like the world's coming to an end. But, yeah, uh, yeah you, you do have a high, high pain tolerance. And, um, but then there's other guys that have – they don't really have that pain tolerance, but they're not – they're going to try to tough it out just to look good. And then they get hurt. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and maybe not like I got to go to the hospital hurt, but, you know, they're messed up. So you, you, you got, you kind of, it's a balancing act. You can't have that ego. Um, you know, you, you just have to find your groove and, and for the people who are putting the holds on, you know, don't try to hurt the person, you know, don't like show off, um, put it on enough that they realize you mean business and explain it. But, um, yeah, it's, yeah, we're in a whole, we're in our own little world with that. Cause our stuff hurts more than, than people think. <laughs> So you yeah, gotta have, you gotta be able to take it and give it, give it and take it, I guess. But, um, yeah, it's great to have you on, man. Uh, I miss, uh, you know, it's, I, I want to talk about California for a minute. Cause I think I mentioned this to Joe. I'm born and raised in the inner city of Cleveland and it's born in the sixties, but really raised in, you know, seventies really. Um, when I was able to start understanding things and back then you only had three major channels, three TV channels. And you, so all the shows seemed to either be California, sunny California, or New York shit, right? Yeah. So I could relate Isn't it to that, New York. that way still, pretty much? <laughs> Probably, but I always could relate to New York because Cleveland was just like it. But I couldn't, you know, this California thing, it's always sunny and manicured lawns and beautiful, happy families and blonde-headed women and all of this jazz, you know, things that you just didn't see in my life. So I told Joe the other day, or somebody, um, if – I could have been born all over again. I probably would have opted to be born in sunny Southern California uh, more than anything else. I don't know why I, but I, I think it would have just been a cool thing. You know, my life obviously would have turned out differently totally, but that's okay. But yeah. So I got a thing about, in a way about California, sadly, I don't think I've been there 10 times. I, I, and every time I've gone, it's just been, you know, work, work, work. Yeah. You know, so I've never really, you know, um, and if I do get to go out like I did in Beverly Hills or you, you, you took me for pho and stuff and, you know, all that, but it's a couple hours, you know, you're out for two hours and then you gotta, you gotta sleep it up, you know, go, go to bed because you gotta, gotta, gotta teach. So well, when um, this COVID shit's over, we need to get you out here. We should get all three of you out here. We could yeah. do a, we could do a podcast from Tijuana and I can yeah. show you all around California. I gotta get my, uh, what do you call it? My passport going again. Um, right now I can't leave because of my mom, but you know, yeah. I'd have to make arrangements, but, uh, yeah, I have to get the passport. I should work on that, but what's the point? Because, you know, um, so more, more on Andre. So, uh, when I went out there again, he was like a gracious host. Uh, and it, it's just, it was like, just nice. His, his clan that he had, his group of people that he trained, they were awesome, and that really makes a difference because sometimes, you know, you'll if you have uh, – and Andre can elaborate on this. You have one bad apple can ruin the bunch, and he did not have a bad apple in that bunch. Everybody was nice. And remember something. While these guys weren't professional fighters, they were hardcore. I mean, they did stuff that was, you know, really in many ways much more severe um, – than what you'd see in, you know, your traditional martial art venues. So talk about that a little bit, uh, if you don't mind, about bad apples ruining the, the, the group. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we need to get Nico out of here. I think that's what you're saying. 
Nico's a good guy. Leave Nico alone. Yeah, uh, Joe. <laughs> no, but you're, you're absolutely right about that. And because um, not only did I have the wrestling school where, where we brought you down for that, but I also ran wrestling shows. And um, a lot of people would remark about how when they came, worked our shows, how, how unified and um, the locker room just, they would watch the show together and they would collaborate. And it wasn't like a lot of other locker rooms where people were, were, were broken up in clicks or there was a lot of drama. And um, what I learned really quickly was that having people who don't agree with what, you know, th this could be anything. I, same thing, my law practice and anything else. Like, I don't care about how talented you are. If you become a, um, resistant to whatever it is that we are trying to do whether it be trained to be pro wrestlers whether it be to put on wrestling shows whether it be to protect people's rights and, and, and earn a living in a law profession um if you're not agreeing with the with the overall um um purpose and, and willing to support each other and make sure they're better and not be selfish but be selfless and and get better through through exchanging knowledge, then you have no place here. And so I think you were there when um, one of the students kind of stepped out of line a little bit. And then I had to get in there and tell them, look, you need to go home for a week. You need to think about if you want to be here, you want to think about if you want to uh, continue to follow the rules that we set out. Cause when I meet with my guys, we set out rules. This is how we're going to train. This is uh we agree to that. It's not, I don't, I don't just say this is what you have to do. I tell them what I expect and I ask them what they expect and we create a set of rules. And then if somebody uh, steps out of that set of rules, then I have to step in and, and, and ask them, you know, if you want to be a part of what we're doing or not, because you get one person who um, either starts bullying or um, in any way brings derision of any type it ruins everything um what i've learned is when people are happy when people are helping each other when people are have camaraderie uh they they do better they learn more and if people are trying to like hide their knowledge or don't really want to see their their teammates uh succeed then it just it brings everybody down and uh that's one of the things i love about you tony because um, a lot of times when you deal with the people who like really know their stuff, they don't really want to teach everything they know. They want to beat you up to impress you and then teach you as little as they can. Am I wrong about that? I mean, that's been my experience in different people that I've trained with here in California. Generally speaking, yes, I will agree with you. And I can elaborate on that later because I have a whole, whole thing about that. And it pisses me off. Yeah. Cause you know, you'll go to a, like a, 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 Kung Fu school, for example. And um, I always like to try to go and bring these different people to my wrestling students and say, spend a day with my students and just teach them one or two things that they may be able to incorporate into their pro wrestling or may not. But I always try to ground my, my students training into reality. So, um, you know, this is why I have no interest in modern pro wrestling because the guys in pro wrestling today don't know anything about fighting. None of them are tough. Um, whereas, you know, the wrestling when I grew up, if you didn't have a legitimate wrestling wrestling background, you still had to be pretty tough to, to like get along. So I, I try to teach my guys, like not only the history of professional wrestling, where it came from, but also how to actually be able to execute moves, the show holds 
and the legit holds. And um, so, so if I was to bring like a, a Kung Fu guy into the school, they would be like, oh, great. Let me kick this guy in the face and, and, and throw this guy down and throw this guy down. But then when it got to teaching, they really weren't interested in revealing anything that they really knew. And um, so I, I would have to go out and find people who were not selfish with their knowledge. And so I, it's, so it's a two-part task. It's finding students that understand what it is trying to develop and want to be a part of that and, and willing to um, unselfishly give themselves to that cause. And then to also find trainers and people who are going to um, come in and want to see the students grow as, as whatever it is they're teaching, as fighters or as martial artists or as wrestlers. And uh, it is a really hard thing to find. And so, um, you know, going back to w when I first met you, when um, Lou was telling me there's only one person left that I would consider a hooker once, you know, he and Billy Robinson um, pass on, you know, my concern was, okay, well, if there's only one person that has the ability to really teach this, are they going to keep that and let it die with them? Because if they do, this whole art dies with it. Right. And so I was really, really like happy when we got to know each other and talk that you were just completely willing to divulge all your knowledge. If the person was serious about learning it and being respectful with what they learned. And so, um, you know, well, I, I think that that's why you and I, immediately i felt like we hit it off yeah well first of all nowadays catch wrestling isn't what i teach you know it's or what other people teach isn't catch wrestling they label it that but it's they've created like a sport that never existed before and that's nothing wrong with that it's just it's it's a whole different thing um not not knocking it it's just it's it's totally different it is um, so different. catch wrestling yeah, it, it, when i talk about catch wrestling i'm talking it, about the stuff that exists in the yeah, 1800s the, the hard shit well now, about sharing knowledge. Okay, first of all, uh, let's be brutally frank here. Um, 99, probably 0.9% of the people, they're not going to put in the effort to train. You know, it's not the technique that's going to win it for you. It's mm -hmm. how well you mastered it. It's the thousands of reps, the hundreds and thousands of hours in the gym. Okay, that I can't do for you. So I could show you something, and that's what cracks me up. I'll do a seminar and then maybe six months later, I, I used to, I would come back and you could tell that, you know, the coach didn't know enough. These guys didn't know the moves. Oh, you know, I'm having a problem with your move. It doesn't seem to work. Well, yeah, because you don't even do it right. That's the beauty. Now I'm going to get sidetracked. That's the beautiful thing about the Tri-C program because it's video. So, you know, back and forth. So I can make these corrections, not once every year or once every six months. And that's why, you know, I'm, I'm hustling now. I'm going to put out another uh, join the Tri C program thing. We'll put a link to it after this uh, video. But anyway, getting back to that. Um, well, if you're going to put out a link for that, I'm just going to jump in here and say if you are considering doing the Tri C program and you live not in Chicago, because I envy Nico and uh, Joe that you guys are there in Chicago, um, I did it remotely. And I can tell you, Tony does a fantastic job remotely of identifying what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and creating a customized plan right to you. Um, I, I was you. like, and you know, we were doing this, you know, five years ago when I was really uh, training harder with you. And nowadays it'd be even easier because now it's like you oh. even have phones that can do uh, a lot of the stuff. I had to go buy a, 
uh, a video camera and set it up and, and <laughs> yeah now but, look we we have this we have zoom and yeah stuff. i mean now you could probably even do a, like a live demonstration if you're struggling with something you can get there with them and say no you're doing this wrong but i was really impressed how uh because when i first signed up i was like well you know we'll give this a try i'm probably gonna have to go to chicago to, to learn the real stuff and i felt like the best stuff i learned was not coming to chicago it was that one-on-one instruction with you through videos being transferred through youtube uh oh well thanks yeah uh, you know i but you made it okay you because you put in the time and effort you know um currently i have a father and son they live in canada i won't mention their names wonderful people they send me you know their videos i get to it i review and you know i make a 20 sometimes 20 minute 30 minute video for them you know um but i I tell you, getting back to getting off the Tri-C for a second, getting back to putting in the effort is so, I mean, that's the battle that no instructor can do for you, okay? You have to do that. The instructor or maybe somebody in your life can, you know, get that, you know, flame going, right? Ignite that flame to make you want to have that desire. Um, you know, that that I can't do, you know, well, maybe I can, but not intentionally, you know, if, if you're impressed or you like me, you want to study fine, but somebody has to keep that motivation going. Now you talk about this distance thing. I think it would be a great experiment. If Joe would like move, just like leave, <laughs> like go, go far, like Mongolia or something. Cause I don't think I've ever trained anybody from Mongolia. Go Joe. And then we can, Try that, you know, we'll do well. And you know what? People do these experiments like here. We'll try this a few times. Let's do this right, Joe. Let's make this Does a long term experiment. Nico has to push your car from now on. <laughs> that'll work, but <laughs> that'll, that'll be fine. Because that could be a fair trade. I'd be, I, I, I could see the benefits of that. Well, I want a 20 year program here. Let's let's make this long term, you know. But, yeah, you know, Nico, they say I always pick on Nico because he's him and I are the only ones with, you know, that are really Italians here. Okay, Joe, with your multi you know, nationality, multicultural background, which is good. Hey, I'm an American. I'm a yes. patriot. It's, yeah. It's, it's Giuseppe, not Joel. Yeah, right. Pepino. <laughs> hey, th- speaking of that, uh, we, you know, we're always looking for guests now and then, you know, and we have a few lined up, but it's come to my knowledge. I mean, it's come to my attention. None of, we're not allowed to have any guests that have hair because it's a challenge to Joe. <laughs> Okay, that's the big thing. Well, you think about it. Shoney Carter didn't have no hair. Nico's brother didn't have any hair. Uh, you know, Andre over here. You know, and, and we're going to have Paul Dodds coming on. Okay, he's not going to have any hair. Yeah, we had Javier and we had Brian, but that they're only on because Joe's afraid of them. You know, uh, he, they have he, other things that they're inferior with. You know where Joe so lives. It, it balances out. I think yeah, well, I think he made Javier wear a hat though. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, because you know, but we're this we're we're pimping for Joe over here. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I wasn't going to bring it up because I was trying to be considerate of Andre's feelings. I mean, he may have physical pain tolerance, but does the man that inside <laughs> the man can't hurt, right? Well, we oh, and that's, hey, one other thing. When he was talking about his training program, let's not forget, he said guys this and guys that. He had women present, too. There was ladies there, and they were as hard as the guys. They worked as hard, and, uh, man, it was awesome. Um, good prop. There. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I absolutely. I, I mean, love it. My, my theory was if you're, if you love wrestling and you're willing to endure some pain and, and, and get on the mat and 
learn submissions, bring it on. I had girls that were training with us that could legitimately beat almost any guy that wasn't trained. I mean, it's one thing to put a woman and a man who are similarly trained together. Yeah. Biology doesn't, that doesn't work out there. But as far as like uh, the girls that we were training, um, they got into a street fight, they can handle themselves. And, um, you know, they were very enthusiastic, Tony, when you came down, because uh, as far well, as they were concerned, me. you know, I was, <laughs> I was I'm, I'm single, you know, <laughs> and uh, I don't know how that's that that's the case either. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, uh, all the all my students were but but, but you ever Haley, she was like a rubber band. I uh, remember her. Yes, very well. Yeah, when I when I was learning the, the submission wrestling, um, originally I could never tap her because she's like a goddamn rubber band. You can sit there and put her in a in a uh, top wrist lock, uh, and you can't get any uh, tapping from her. And then when you taught me the twisting, I tapped her like that. <laughs> yeah, and you know I'm glad I don't you care do. how li- fl- fl- uh, 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 limber you are if you if you understand the t- the twisting uh, motions of the uh, of the, the hooking. Or, or the, the submission hold that you're teaching i mean i had to turn her wrist three or four times but i <laughs> i got her screaming eventually well that's the thing nobody else teaches it but me and that's why lou was you know uh, uh you know trying to get at with you the point that he was trying to make and that's okay because you know different people different st- have you know have different styles like boxers and wrestlers and you know whatever you know judo jiu-jitsu they all have their own style and Mine incorporated it all. You know, mine was like a little bit too much for most people. You know, it wasn't gentlemanly, right? Because it's yeah. rough and it's, let's hurt. You know, I want to hurt you. But that strictly comes from my upbringing. Yeah. So that, that, that's, you could do it without going to that extreme like I did. But, uh, and let's hopefully, hopefully you, you don't go as extreme as, as I do. But, um, but yeah, it's, for me, <clears throat> I get enthused, you know, when, when you have, uh, an audience, a group of people who, who, who are enthusiastic, who pay attention, who, who respect each other, you know, uh, that's just, that's an environment I want to be in. One of the things that really turns me off is like when you're doing a seminar and let's say you have a group, a large group. So you show a technique, whatever it is, and then you let them go practice. Okay. So you, you explain it for, let's say 10 minutes, you let them practice for a few minutes and you can see, I know right away who's, who's the people I need to pay attention to and who, who are the people I, that aren't serious because the ones who aren't serious, they'll work at it, they'll practice it two or three times, and then they're sitting there bullshitting with each other. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. These are people who shouldn't be there, okay, because you're never – and those types tend to be the ones who brag the most. They run their mouth about, oh, I studied, I, tra- I did a seminar with this master and that master and grandmaster this and so on. Yeah, right. You know, um, Lou, speaking of him – they used to have an expression called uh, arena bunnies, right? Women that would just bounce around from arena to arena. We call them ring rats now. Ring rats. <clears throat> well, he was more gentlemanly, I guess. But they had. <laughs> well, they it had was gym, the 40s and 50s. <laughs> right. But we martial art guys are, you got gym rats. You know, you got people who 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 will bring out a list of, <clears throat> I study with this guy, that guy. This guy. I'm thinking, man, alive. I mean. Goodness gracious, you can't, you can't, you can't do it. I mean, can you imagine if you as a lawyer, right? If you ran into another lawyer who said, I'm, I don't know much about it, but who said, yeah, I studied at Harvard and Yale 
and Princeton and Texas and Michigan and Ohio State, you know, and you know, Northwestern, University of Chicago, you'd know, well, A, the guy's either total bullshitter or he's flunking out or, you know. Yeah, flunking out of a lot of schools there. <laughs> yeah, right. You can't – and that turns me off. That's not – because, number one, it doesn't show loyalty, first and foremost, um, especially when the styles are similar. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like you're learning wrestling from somebody and, you know, a shotgun from somebody else. Okay, that's totally, you know, disparate. But the, it also doesn't – it shows that you don't have the dedication, okay? You can't – you have to have an attention span here, okay? Mm-hmm. In order to get good at anything, it takes utter dedication. Without it, you're, you're just you're, – you're not going to make it. So, like, when I – and I mean that, and I don't care if it offends people. It's, it's the facts. Um, you look at any like like two sport athletes, okay? Let's Bo Jackson, for example, uh, Deion Sanders. Those two, you know, probably took it to the highest level. But the funny thing is, right? Uh, during baseball season, they weren't playing football, man. They weren't practicing football. They weren't playing a, a, a day game baseball, and then at night doing football drills. Okay, it, it, it didn't work that way. Okay, and and those. Baseball is probably a little more skill-oriented, you know, hand-eye coordination and things like that. Football is a lot more physical, and you got to memorize your, your patterns and, you know, your plays and shit. But, you know, you, you can't be doing five, six, even three, you know, different martial arts at a high level. It, you're, you know, it's a recipe for disaster, man. It just is, All it's going to do is going to expose your weaknesses. And what I mean by that is – uh, you're going to enter into your area where you think you know something, the style that you know something, and probably not that good at it, and you, you can get exposed. Whereas if you know something very, very good, you know, and you get taken out of it momentarily, you're fighting to get back to that. Like if you're a striker, you know, you're a heavyweight champion of the world, boxer, you, you something's happening in a fight, you want to get back to where you can box, okay? You don't want to sit there and think, all right, well, I, I did six months of judo. Should I try to throw this guy? Or, you know, I did – four months of Taekwondo. Should I try to spin kick? You know what I'm saying? Master something, you know, show me the dedication to at least spend a few years and get to a, to an accomplished, accomplished level, man. Um, yeah. Certificates, belts, eh, forget about it. That don't mean shit to me. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I don't know this personally, but I, I feel like that that's not really sure what the best, technique is right if you're shopping around from one dojo to another martial arts school to another uh form of of fighting um it's it's either you're just like poly curious you just want to know all this stuff which which is fine or you don't have confidence in anything that you're learning that that's kind of like my perspective well let's Uh, let me interject though it's not fair to the instructor or the school no matter who it is because you know, they're not going to just come in here and show you everything they know right away or their best moves because it takes time to acquire that, you know, yeah. that ability. So you can't judge somebody by one video or, or, I mean, you can see certain things. If you're a skilled, you can see, well, this guy doesn't have the fundamentals. He doesn't know how to move right. But, yeah, man, show, show some effort, you know, um, like, like that seminar that they do with you or any seminar. Yeah. If it's a three-hour seminar, two-hour seminar, four-hour seminar, or weekend seminar, I can't show you thousands of moves that i know you know you don't have enough time yeah i mean i i think it's not just limited to fighting 
but in anything, I rather uh, in the when you're talking about if you want to be a fighter, I feel like you really need to become an expert in something. Like as a lawyer, I've become I I don't someone comes up to me and asks me about a workers' comp case or a family law case or a bazillion other cases. I tell them I won't even talk to you about it. I don't know anything about it. I'm as knowledgeable. You're probably more knowledgeable than I am because you're going through a divorce and I'm never been through one. Um, I there's time. <laughs> well, you know, thanks for the encouragement. I'm a realist. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so, um, uh, what I teach like people who come to my law firm and say they want to work with me. And usually these are my, my law students. And I, t- I tell them we specialize in very specific things because I want to be the absolute best at what we do. For, for six or seven years, all I did was criminal defense law. And when I felt like I really couldn't get any better at that, then I said, okay, how do I, what can I add in? And really it was just because I wanted something more, I wanted something new. I wanted to learn to, to broaden myself. So then I got into to suing police officers because it was like, I was doing all these resisting arrest cases and I was beating the cases. And then the Civil lawyers would come take my case, use my same uh, strategies, and then sue the county, make a ton of money. And I'm thinking, well, I might as well just learn the civil part and win the money as well. And so I think that's a, a natural expansion because you, yes. you focus on one thing and you learn everything you can about it. And then when you really feel like you've tapped out your knowledge, then you add more to it. I, I was kind of um, surprised when I, because I think it was when I went to Chicago that I realized that you're a boxer too. And, um, yeah, and I kick, I've tried to do it all, but I've had years to do it. Yeah, it, it, exactly. You've had a lifetime to learn it all, but, um, your, your techniques have really been, I mean, you've taken everything that you learned, but you've also kind of like melded it into something very unique because, uh, yours wasn't just a sport. It wasn't go to the YMCA and, 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 and exchange, you know, painful submissions for pleasure or for sport. Like you developed something that was intended to maim people when they needed to be, be maimed. And so um, it, it's, it's, it's really unique how you've melted boxing from a, as a stand-up fighting style to wrestling. Because in one instance, it's like you're on your feet and you're throwing punches, but the blink of an eye, you got the guy on the floor and you're ripping his limbs to pieces. And um I don't know. I know Danny Hodges was did some, you know, a couple fights and he was certainly a, a really good wrestler, but you know, he was never a, a I don't think a, a sufficient boxer. I don't think he spent any uh, amount of time trying to learn how to be a boxer, but um, I think that the way that you have melded those two together is, is quite remarkable and uh, actually uh, is a very, very effective, like dual martial arts. So um you know, if you're ever like in a street fight, uh, you know how to absorb a punch, how to block a punch, how to dodge a punch, how to throw a punch. And then if you find out that the guy you're fighting is one of those unique people that probably uh, if I let them punch me, would knock me on my ass. Then I know how to take that guy to the ground because I know most people who can stand up and fight can't fight on the ground. Well, for, for one, well, Danny Hodge did win the AAU Nationals uh, Golden Gloves. And I think he had a couple pro fights, but Still, doesn't matter. You, you, you have to have a conscious desire to blend it. See, okay, it's like this. Like, if you're watching a movie 
and all of a sudden there's like jitters in the movie, no matter how good the movie is, you see these jitters every so often in the film or, or the video, eh, you can't really enjoy it. Well, that's how the fighting is. When you're mixing this up, it has to be seamless. And like I talked about this before, I don't ever think I'm in boxing mode, let's say, or kicking mode. Or, mm-hmm. I, it, it's all one. It's, it's completely seamless. And that's where, like, a lot of guys, I don't think, have, have done that. There was, a, there was a wrestler long before, I think in the 20s, Paul Berlenbach, who was an AAU national wrestling champ, who ended up becoming the light heavyweight boxing champion of the world. He, you know, he wanted to make a living at it, and he did it, and he was a champ. Um, but could he, I don't know if he blended the two. I, I mean, he died long before probably I was even born. But, yeah, I, I just did it more or less out of necessity. I started boxing before wrestling. So, um, you know, I – So when you I, train with Stanley Robin, uh did you fight in a wrestling stance or a boxing stance? I, I was in pain stance, okay? I mean, I was like a pretzel. <laughs> I, was, I was all like this. Uh, no, I mean, when you're talking about on the feet, um, there was a time in the beginning, he showed me how he wrestled. Okay. Like a wrestling stance. Yeah. Right. But this is the thing about the guy. Um, he was very aware of that. A traditional wrestling stance isn't going to cut it. Okay. Now he had gifts, you know, with his strength that, you know, none of us have. Okay. And he, I mean, he had a rough, he was in, uh, a concentration camp, so I'm not going to discuss that. Um, but in general, life in general, outside of that concentration camp, let's get that out of the way. He didn't. He wasn't raised in an environment like I was, at least from what I know, where his life was on the line damn near every day outside yeah. of the concentration camp. Um, so he saw my skills, and he right away said, don't give this up. Don't. This is mm. good. Incorporate it. So um, – and I knew uh, that, hey, I want to keep my hands up. I don't like this hands-down stuff or leaning, leaning forward kind of thing um, or whatever. You know, I, I don't like that, right? That just isn't comfortable to me. Yeah, not in a fight for sure. Not, you in, don't want not to in a fight. No, but I gave him the respect of, okay, let me see where you're going with this. Uh, this is afterwards because in the first few months, he didn't show me anything, just conditioning exercises and so on. But when we got down to it um, – you know, and and it just piqued my mind because and, and here's the beautiful thing. I was when it was uh, like straight grappling, forget about the submission holes. <clears throat> I was looking at, well, OK, I could have done this to him if I wanted to mm-hmm. knee him, kick him, elbow, whatever, headbutt. You know, I mean, I'm not saying I could have pulled it off. I was a kid. He was a grown man. But I'm just saying that was. That was important. That was important because I never forgot those things because I always remembered you're vulnerable. If, if I try to do this, it may work in a straight wrestling situation, but in a street fight. So then anyway, as time went on with him and, you know, not that much longer, I got into the ripping where he started showing me all this. Then I knew, okay, he may not be able to punch like me or kick, but he knew all about not leaving yourself wide open. Yeah. So, uh, and, and that clicked because then, you know, uh, I told, I said, yeah, this is the way we need to go. He's like, I understand because he, his whole goal was to teach me how to self-defense because there was no sport of this there. It never existed. So let's get that out. So anybody who's doing some sport aspect where you got rules and pinfalls, beautiful, 
that's not how it was. Okay. And you know that. Okay. Yeah. It was never like that. It was all anytime it was anything like that was bullshit. It was, you know, works. So, um, and he told me about how this goes back centuries and centuries and, you know, thousands of years wrestling. And then, you know, he was working out with a guy in Cleveland when he first moved there, you know, Henry Gehrig, Gehrig, Gehrig that was in one of the Frank Gotch's books going back to the He was like a middleweight or uh, welterweight or light heavyweight wrestling champion of the world. And he tied up with Tom Jenkins, who was a legitimate guy. And it did a lot of works with, with Gotch and all that, Frank Gotch. But, you know, so I felt honored. And plus Stanley's European influence and stuff that he learned because he traveled the world doing wrestling and strongman shows, um, South Africa or South America, everywhere. Um, so I felt like, wow, this is kind of neat, you know, um, for a kid who never left his street pretty much, except to go to school or, or go to see him. It was kind of like a, another world. It was like a vacation. Right. Uh, but normally it turned out to be a vacation in hell cause it hurt so much. Um, I said it, and I, I cried the first, seemed like six months, you know, I mean, because it just shit hurt, you know, um, and my body wasn't, I was frail, skinny, and my body wasn't used to all of this kind of stuff. But um, I, even now, I see guys have that transition problem. Great martial artists, but they have, there's that hitch, okay? Mm-hmm. They don't have that, there's a line of demarcation. You could see it's like falling off a cliff where, what do they do? You know, what, especially like if they're up against the fence, okay? or, you know, a cage, uh, in a UFC style event, what do I do? You know, should I, you know, they're tying up with, are they rest? They don't know what they're doing. I mean, this is what a broad brush I'm painting. You know, you could see that there's, they're trying to figure things out. If that leg trip isn't working, if you can't get your hip in there to throw the guy or whatever, back off, man, you know, hit him, kick him, do whatever. And you can just see them mentally. Some of them mentally struggling here. Like they're locked into like grappling mode now. Where, um, and again, I'm not saying every one of them. I'm sure there's guys who don't. But generally, you can't have that, man. You can't have those blank out faces. It's got to be, it's got to be fluid. You know, like you with the law. You know, if, I mean, you, 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 you can't go up in front of a judge. You know, I'm not trying to be funny, but you can't go up in front of a judge and say, Judge, uh, I, I want to object. Just give me a couple of minutes here. I, I'll figure out the reason why I want to object. Right? I can't do that shit. Well. Yeah. You got to be Actually, like instant. Yeah, I teach evidence in my class. I tell the, the students all that. You can't go like, hey, let me grab my evidence book and look at what the objection yeah, right? is. Yeah, you got to know it. You got to know, know it. If and you're going to be a practitioner, you got to know it. Yeah, and I, I so that was, whole, that was all my thing because with me, I couldn't hesitate uh, in a real-life situation because I, I wish that people could understand the environment that I was raised in. There are pockets like that still. Um, around that, you know, it's, it's, it, you wonder why there's shootings and killings and all this. It's, the, it's a way of life and death for, for many of us that were born in the inner city and, and, and couldn't get out. I finally got out when I was 23 years old, but I had my, I'd gone through a lot of turmoil. I still have, you know, flashbacks of this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, uh, I remember talking to a, a, a medical expert once and he didn't follow me. I said, you know, I said, I was in Vietnam for 23 years. He's like, what? You were, you were overseas? No, no. I said, every day was a war zone for me, literally. Bullets, this and that. I mean, you never could rest. You never knew when it was going to happen to me, to my family, to my neighbors, to, you know, whatever. 
So um, it's made me like, I'm like this all the time. You know, um, I'm hyper alert is what I'm called. Okay. I have, my mind doesn't shut down. Um, but not everybody should be like me. You know, you don't have to learn to kill with your bare hands. It's good to, that I'm able to. A lot of people, you know, aren't. But, you know, I got it if I need it. And that always helped me, Andre. I knew that I could, This whoever wants to get in front of me, they don't realize what, what they're doing here, the trouble they're in right now, okay? That's, and that with me gave, you know, because I had a strong background in, ethics and honesty and I care uh if I didn't have those things I'd have been in prison probably for killing people you know um so these people are lucky that I didn't snap yeah you know you know what I'm saying I was gonna say also sometimes it's the knowledge that you can do those things that gives you the confidence to stop confrontations because like there's been situations where you know for years we traveled in groups, like me and my students when we did shows and stuff. And if I was out doing something, I'd come up and I'd see a, a competition taking place. Me stepping in there and being like, you want to fight, you're going to fight me. Or you can turn around and walk away. And I don't look all that menacing, but it's that look in your eyes. It's that body. It's the confidence knowing that I believe that I can handle this situation. And so now it's either – it's something's going to go down or this is not going to happen. And we need to uh, go to our separate corners. Well, I want to tell you guys a quick story here, but yeah, I, I always get people, I laugh it off. Right. Yeah, you're right. You know, well, a quick one. Then I want to get to my main story. So I knew this guy named Gino who was actually Rocky Marciano's driver and bodyguard. Okay. Um, Gino was here in Chicago uh, and um, blah, blah, blah. So, Anyway, Gino said he was they, he took Rocky out. They were they were somewhere. This is years ago. Obviously, Rocky died, I believe, 69. And there was just some asshole saying, you know, you're not so tough. Now, this is after he was champ. This was in the 60s. You know, I could take you. And, you know, Rocky said Rocky Marci, the Rocky Marciano said, you know, you're right. Because I know you can't. I'm not a fighter. I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm a boxer. OK, I, I, I don't you win, man. I don't I don't want to get into it. That's how Rocky handled it. I mean, Rocky could have killed this man, you know, and that's yeah. how sometimes, sometimes I'm like that. I'll just, okay, yeah, all right, goodbye. I'll leave you alone. But sometimes I can't. Um, but here's the thing. About nine years ago, ten years ago, something like that, I went back to Cleveland. I took a friend of mine from Chicago, and I showed him some I, – I won't tell you the whole story because it's too long, but his eyes were open to how bad Cleveland is, my area. It's worse than, you know, Inglewood here in Chicago. It's, it's worse. Anyway, long story short, I'm with my, you know, my best buddy from high school, and we're at this big bar where I used to shoot pool at uh, in Euclid, Ohio. And so I'm waiting to shoot pool. We're hanging out and all, and all this. I'm with my buddy and, uh, from Chicago and my buddy from Cleveland and another friend from Cleveland. And there's some, you know, there's some uh, guy from Cleveland, you know, and he's just, you know, talking shit, you know, to me, you know, and I'm laughing, you know, he's telling me what he's going to do and all this. And he got to the point where he said enough and it, he crossed the line with me. And I don't know if I bowed up, if I had a look on my face, but my, my boy from Cleveland, Adrian, Adrian stepped up to the guy and says, uh, you know, let me tell you something about tone. He goes, uh, you know where Tony's from? guy goes i don't give a shit where the hell he's from he goes uh 
Eatonsville United of St. Clair. With that, this dude was like, oh, shit. He apologized and buying drinks, buying me and my buddy drinks from Chicago, buying Adrian drinks, uh, and not just one drink. He bought like three, four rounds, and we finally, you know, he wouldn't accept any money, you know, wouldn't let us buy it back just because of the, the, the street cred. So sometimes, like you said, you have that menacing look. Well, with me, it was this, this dude, Tony, is for real. Yeah. They don't care about tough. You know, everybody thinks they can, they can beat you. But when, when he knows where I'm from, now he's thinking he ain't going to beat me. He's going to kill me. This guy, mm-hmm. Tony's going to, he's going to, my life's over. So when you get somebody like that, when they, when it finally sinks in that it's all over for them, um, that, that you, you, this is your last day on earth. Yeah. A lot of times they'll back down. Now some still won't, but you know, those guys have mental issues and you got to deal with it appropriately, you know, but, um, Oh yeah. You and I could probably talk on and on and on about stories about that kind of stuff. Lots street situations and tough guy stories and you know it's always the biggest guy and the smallest guy that seem to get picked on but it's also the the, the guys who are legitimate tough guys there's always somebody that thinks they can take you yeah. especially if they've been drinking or they're you know they're on something um and uh you just have to uh you know you have to deal with it you know um it, it's my problem is you know even as i i'm old and i still get it you know i'm like jesus i told one kid like this is a couple of years ago. Like this was like before the COVID. I'm like, um, I said, well, first of all, uh, I'm going to probably end up bitch slapping you after I get done saying this to him. And I said, um, but I, I could be like probably your father or maybe even older than your father. I said, so what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to do something that your dad should have probably done. I'm going to tie you up like a little bitch. I'm going to put <laughs> your pants down in public here and I'm going to spank you, literally spank you. Okay like the child that you are right now. And then the, the owner of the place, you know, came in and, you know, or he was there, but, you know, came in between us. Cause the guy knew that I was serious now, pulled him off to the side. Says you, you, this is don't, don't talk to Tony, man. Yeah. And I guess, I guess, you know, he told him who I was and what I do and this and that. And, and that was another one. Oh man. Can I, they had food there. He's like, can I buy you a hamburger or something? I said, no, I said, just be thankful that, you know, I didn't go off on you. Yeah, You know, you go with this. I said, you know, if I didn't know how to fight and I, I was packed and I probably would have blew your head off. So, you know, lucky. But, um, but yeah, the, the, this is the thing with Joe. Now he gets mobbed. Joe should hire me to be a, his bodyguard because Joe with, with, with his looks and how he gets mobbed when he goes out in public. And it, I've seen it. I've seen what, what, what happened, you know, um, to him at, at times, you know, he, one time we were down by um, Buckingham Fountain. And there was like, you know, 20, 30 women just surrounding him and, you know, grabbing him and, you know, ripping at him and clawing. And, you know, I'm screaming at him, Joe, do you need my help? And he's like, no. That may be true, Tony, but in all these years, you've never once offered to spank me. (laughs) Do you really want to go there? (laughs) Because I will. (laughs) No, this kid kid was a kid. He was 21. You know, I mean, come on, you know, and I didn't want to hurt the kid and scar, you know, break him up and shit and knock him out or something. Uh, so a lot of intimidation, you know, but I could back it up. You know, that's nice beautiful me, thing. Tony. You're nicer than I am. <laughs> well, I don't want to go to jail. I, I got to take care of my mother, man. I go to jail yeah. and I'm not getting out with my background. You know, what I do is you're done. Felony yeah. and I don't need that. But, um, you know, the most important thing, though, is that 
whatever anybody listening out there thinks their skill level is and, you know, just make sure what you're doing, you know, because if you have any training, even accidentally, if you're a big guy, you can hit somebody, they can fall, hit their head. It happens commonly and they die. This just happened how long ago, like a month ago to that famous um, uh, detective, private detective out on the, I think he was in California and he got mugged in, you know, his head and he's dead. Um, you know, that, that can happen, man. Um, it's bad. You, you got to watch. So you got to, you got to take, you know, this is serious shit. You know, either you could kill somebody or you could get killed. You know, you got to be prepared for it. So getting back to intimidation, Andre, did, did somebody like teach you how to talk smack for pro wrestling or is that, is that actually a skill you guys teach? Uh, yeah. I mean, you go through what they call promo training where, um, you know, they put you in the ring and they, they give you two minutes to try to, you know, cut a promo on somebody. Um, everyone, almost everybody, there's a few people come in, you know, able to talk just because they know how to talk smack from the streets. But, you know, for me, certainly it was something that I had to pick up, but, you know, we always tell people when you're in the bathroom, taking a shower, cut a promo, when you look in the mirror, cut a promo and I'll still do it just, uh, instinctively. I'll be in the bathroom, um, brushing my teeth or something. And I'll, I'll just start fucking cutting a promo myself. Uh, so but, what, um, what's what's the technique for doing that for the promo? Um, you just call somebody out and, and start calling them names. Uh, Can we get an example, maybe? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like the old school of uh, you know, old school wrestling was always built around the concept that personal personal uh, conflicts make money, right? So um, when you cut a, a promo against a particular person what you what you want to try to do is like because typically you only have about you know when you're doing tv 90 seconds to to get this message over so uh what you want to do is summarize basically identify who you're talking about first of all tell them who you are identify what you're what you're who, who you're talking about tell them why you're mad at them and then tell them what you're going to do about it and uh what you're going to do about it is always this saturday night at this arena you and me one-on-one we're going to settle the score and the idea is that people say okay now i care because he 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 told them who he was he told them why he was mad at him and then he said what he's going to do about it and what he's going to do about it, he's going to kick his ass a saturday night and then the other guy comes on and he does the same thing and now we have a match and and so and then it depends if you're the the heel or the baby face because like the baby face always wants to call out for help like you know uh, my biggest challenge ever is going to be this Saturday night. And uh, this person, he doesn't play by rules. He doesn't care about hurting people. All he cares about is, is, is winning. And I can't do it without the support of my fans. So I need you all there this Saturday night to support me, to back me up. Because if things get rough, I can look at the audience. And I can see all of you and you will give me the strength I need to carry the day. So it's that playing to the emotion. Um, I haven't so done it in a long time. So Actually, I haven't been, in a wrestling ring for four years now, three or four years now. It's been a while. Well, I got a question for you. Okay. You mentioned Nick Bockwinkle. Now his, he comes from a, his father was a wrestler. Yeah, he was. So, tell us. Out of California, bit. in fact, or he spent some time in California. Uh, yeah. I don't know is about that, but I don't, but tell us, you know, cause Nick was a, was a legend really. Yeah. Tell us a he little was, bit about him. Yeah. I mean, um, the one thing about uh, Nick Bockwinkle was he loved pro wrestling and, you know, even, you know, when I was 
training with them, which was uh, the early 2000s. Is the same the same general area about 2002, 2003. He was still really, really protective of the business, and um, so you know most of the conversations I had with Nick was about like this disappointment of like where wrestling was going, how wrestlers were treating the business. Like he used to get so infuriated when he'd come to the shows and he'd see wrestlers in the parking lot talking to fans. Like the, the, especially if it's the two guys that are supposed to fight that night, they'll be in the uh, parking lot sometimes going over their matches. And you see this all the time now. And um, there's, there's no perception anymore that anyone's mad at each other. There's no perception anymore that uh, anyone cares about winning the, the, the big title to make the big payoff. Um, but Bonkwinkle came from a time when you didn't even tell your spouse that wrestling was a work until sometimes you were married for a, quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, he came from an era where you didn't clue your parents in many times or your children in many times uh, that wrestling was a work. And so, and Tony, you probably uh, understand this too. I'm, I'm sure you've had similar competitions with, with Lou or, you know, other guys in the business. Um, Tony, you told me uh, that Rod Vaughn told you never uh, not to be a pro wrestler, right? Correct. And um, my guess is, is because uh, by that point he probably, I don't know if he, if he followed wrestling, but probably had similar uh, misgivings about how like the wrestling went from um, something that mimicked, a sport to something that mimicked a cartoon, so to speak. Correct. Would, would you agree with that? Yes, correct. And, and one of his biggest pet peeves was, you know, he, he liked Luthez, um, but that's pretty much it. You know, uh, you know, he's like, these guys don't have skill. He says, these guys that think they do, they think they know, they don't know. Uh, and he, and he, yeah, he just, like you said earlier, so many of them are just more performers. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're talking now the 70s, late 70s, yeah, you know, early 80s. Yeah, this words. is when I, I got into it, 79, with him. Um, or 77, I should say, because I was yeah I was born in 64. 77 is when I started it. I was uh, 13. So the thing here is, uh, yeah, he didn't, you know, he didn't want me to get into it. He knew that there were, you know, there was, let's say, drugs and everything. And he wanted yeah. me to make a living, you know, just an honest, and he said, there's no, there's, you're too good. You, you, you don't fake it. You're, you're the real deal. You're not going to cut it. Now, remember too, I wasn't a big dude, you know, back then I was, I graduated high school, 178 pounds. So, you know, I wasn't like built like I became, you know, then I might've been marketable, but yeah. the point though, uh, there were a lot of old timers now that people that are past that people look back on with like, they reflect with, Oh my God, he probably was so tough. He could do this or that when really they, most of them weren't, they may have known a few holds just because you, you do, you know, it's like you work in an Italian restaurant, you may be German or Scotch Irish, but you know, a couple of words in Italian, Um, you know, they, you know, but now they're, they're, some of these guys are glorified and they're, Mm -hmm. you know, Boy, they were saying he must have been something. No. Well, I mean, there were some tough guys in wrestling. Don't get me wrong. There there were a few. But now you, you, you read stuff. It's like every one of them was a killer. No, that, that's not true. That's very not true. Yeah, and I would agree with that. And uh, I think that that's, you know, if you, if you research enough, like I 
when I was talking to Luther, a lot of the things that he told me were also in his book. And if you look at a lot of the books of the guys, like uh, Harley Race is a tough guy. Yes, but I don't was. think I don't think he was a shooter, or I don't think he claimed to be. I mean, he 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 came from the carnival days where you had to know how to hurt somebody uh, if things got out of control. And so, you know, his big thing was he just headbutt you in the nose because <laughs> that right. spite. Um, yeah, think- he was he was tough. He was yeah. a shooter in that regard. Like he can go live on you if you wanted to, but oh not, yeah, yeah, he wasn't a submission guy, you know. Per yeah, se. Th- that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he was, you know, him and Haku was another guy who was like really regarded as being a, a tough guy. He may not put you on the ground and put you in submission hold, but he was he was a tough guy. Now I don't know how tough those guys would be if you actually were able to get them on the ground, but these are guys who were uh, notorious for f- finishing fights before they ever got that far. Um, do you think that uh, it would have been different for you if you, uh, you know, were born 20 years earlier? And yeah, 20, 30 you years. Learned? You think yeah, you would have been mean, a pro wrestler? I mean, if I would have been the policeman for sure in, in the wrestling world. Yeah, I might have been. Um, if, let, let's say if I was 18 in the 50s. Yeah, I probably probably could have been. Yeah, because um, I had athleticism looking back. I had a if, – if, you know, it's, this is like a what if. But with my speed and stuff – and the knowledge, yeah, I probably could have done something, but you guys wouldn't have seen it. I mean, I don't think even then my style of fighting would have, you know, sold. You got my drift? No, yeah, you would definitely have to to, to modify it. But yeah. it, it just seems like in that era, um, for them to let you in the door, you had to know something. And it was like yeah, how far you went. I mean, this is not across the board. But how far you went seemed to be usually related to how good you could do at the gym. Because when they're at the gym, they're they're going live. And so, like, Luthez was the champion because everyone knew that, you know, if you needed a safe place to put the title, put it on Luthez because no one's going to cross him and take the belt. Or if, if, if someone wasn't cooperating, you send Luthez in to take the title from the guy. And so they seemed to, to really try to keep people who were legit – at the top of the of the of the card, you know, when they had the whole package, um, yeah, and he was marketable. Very, you see, Luthez had the looks. He was, he had the body. He was he was a rare combination of a guy who had the looks, the physique, and you know, and could back it up. You know, Vern Gagne, Danny Hodge. They they were all they had the goods. They had the look. There was others who had the looks and couldn't didn't have skill later on. But even in loose era. There were guys who had the goods. They could wrestle. Some of them were pretty tough, but they weren't. They just weren't marketable, right? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, and those were the policemen. Those, those were the people who right. were making sure that um, no one got out of line. So, yeah. um, and, and you know, one of the guys. This is the only time I've ever disagreed with uh, with with Luthez, and not a hundred percent. Because Luthez used to always talk about Buddy Rogers not knowing anything. He was like, that guy didn't know anything about wrestling. And, and I don't think that uh, Buddy Rogers was a shooter by any means. But he did seem to be fairly uh, uh, efficient, at least as a grappler. Um, do you have any uh, insight on that? Well, you know, yeah, I don't – yeah, he wasn't a, a, a shooter. Definitely wasn't a hooker or anything like that. But, yeah, I think you're, you're right. He had a good athleticism. And I think back in his day he – tangled with enough guys that you know you you just pick things up you know uh and, but i think there was i think lou's there's more there was some heat going on um you know lou to, 
I guess I can say it now, but who are the biggest guys that Lou just detested? Well, three now. I got a Putzmont, who was actually a, a guy you didn't want to cross. You know, yeah. Toots knew. Um, oh, John Pesek, who was another great wrestler, and Lou had problems with him. And I, But in Lou's era, more or less, was Buddy Rogers and uh, Antonio Rocco, okay? Because these were, like, really, f- like, flamboyant, but in a different, like, serious flamboyant, not like Gorgeous George, right? Gorgeous George was funny. And Lou always said he had a strong amateur background. George yeah, Wagner, I think his name was. He could wrestle. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, for some reason, I think Lou's problem was that they gave the belt to Buddy Rogers. And if I'm – now, I could be wrong, but I'm going on my memory. Lou said this is, like, really the first time they put over and gave a belt to a, who a, to a guy who, who, who could get his ass kicked in the parking lot, okay? Um, not temporarily either. They, they were pushing him. Um, yeah. And you they know, made Lou Fez drop the belt to him too, so I'm sure that he didn't wasn't yeah, too happy about that. No, probably not. I don't know all of the all of the details because for me, all I cared about, and I knew what phase in, in life Lou was at you know age wise, and he had mellowed tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I wanted to pick his brain more for just techniques and you know you know how to, setups and stories along along those lines, and. Um, it's quite eye-opening, really. Some, you know, uh, would be shocking, uh, both good and bad. You know, there, there's, there's stories about guys, you know, who thought they were – you would think they were tough. They weren't. Um, and guys who have a legendary reputation, and they were 100% workers, okay? Mm-hmm. Nobody, know, nobody knows that. Uh, you know, but, but that's our secrets, our chosen few secrets, because I'm not going to denigrate. And then people are going to say, oh, prove it. Well, how are you going to prove something happened <laughs> 80, 80, 90 years ago? No, I take, I trust the words of, of, of my coaches. Okay. They would yeah. not lie to me about this stuff that, you know, that doesn't matter. These people, some of them were dead 30 years already, 30 years ago, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, to me, I still laughed at all of it because um, they, they, Tough guy one on one fight, it don't matter. That that to me is a day. That's a walk in the park, you know, yeah. uh, compared to what I went through. Like once when I was with Leon, uh, Leon Spinks, um, we used to live together basically, and um, they were, he, I was driving and he was in a car, and I asked him once. He's from I believe it was East St. Louis. He just recently passed away, sad. But um, he was like, I said, well, how good of a street fighter were you? He put it the best. He gave, he gave the best answer I've ever heard in my life. He's in my passenger seat. I said. Leon, how how good of a street fire, fighter were you? And he goes, I don't know. It never was a fair fight. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, I, I said yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's and this was before he was a heavyweight champ, probably even before he was an Olympian. It right. He had the reputation. It was never a fair fight. Mm-hmm. You know. So when you hear about wrestling, generally like t- wrestling tough. 99% of the time, it's it's like a fair fight. It's one-on-one. It's in the locker room or they shoot on each other in the ring. No, that's that just shows maybe that you're skilled. It doesn't show me really what you know when all the chips are down. Mentally, psychologically, you know, how versatile are you? Um, like Haku, you know, he has a legend, legendary reputation. And, you know, he's actually said some of it's not true. You know, yeah. um, and some of it, like plucking the guy's eyeball out, I, I guess turned out to not be true, you know, because the, the wrestler that it happened to, 
didn't lose an eyeball. You know, no, it doesn't mean that Haku wasn't tough. But when you when you hear the stories, they're over the top and they're always changing. Yeah, and eye gouging was a big thing in um, you know, in wrestling locker rooms or fights. Oh yeah. You know, in that era. And so, you know, you know how that's not just wrestling, that's everywhere. You, some guy sees a fight and the guy thumbs him in the eye and then three years later I watched him rip a guy's eyeball out. Yeah. And so well, it's a good technique to know. <laughs> you know my dad used to grab me like that like behind the ear and run the eye when i was little and i hated that never did pick that one up well thank god he stopped because if it would have went any further i don't know if you could ever have seen eye to eye with him again you know um <laughs> but yeah it, that to me so i'm a hard sell okay you know i i that's why I, could, I said it before i'm not impressed with most people because okay you're 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 skilled at what you do but there's so much more Mm-hmm. you'd have you haven't seen you know just like with music i mean there's probably people out there that none of us have ever heard of that are doing like when charlie parker came around he was just he ended up you know with the bebop being at the cutting edge with some of the other guys with that bebop a whole different style of music that had never been heard before right mm-hmm. and you know there's fighting like the style that what i do or want, shared with you and a few others that no one's seen it's not out there it's not marketable you cannot get it anywhere else you know um and it's a shame that it's going to die with me, but hey, you know what? Probably somebody 400 years ago did something so great somewhere in this on this planet. Maybe he was the best looking guy, or the funniest guy, or the strongest guy, or the nicest guy, and nobody remembers him, man. You know, time marches on, you know, and that's just the way it is. Um, that's just how I take it. You know, there may have been people out there that were really awesome at stuff. We'll never know. So at least now we have like recorded history here. So you have that, but we're living in a time of revisionist history. So yeah. who knows, right? You know, I, I got shit that I put out on a lost art of hooking in the nineties. People are doing it now claiming they invented it just now. I just, no, this, this stuff's been around. I put it out 20 years ago. Some of it's been around for, you know, 20 centuries, you know, um, that, that's what's the interesting part. So you, I gave up trying to convert these people. I actually feel bad for the, for the few that really do want to learn it and, and, Unless they reach out to me, they're not going to get it. You know, you can't, you can't take bits and pieces, you know, uh, watch a clip on YouTube here and there, you know, you, you, you've got to immerse yourself in it and you've got to dedicate time like you with the law, you know, it took years to, you know, it takes years to get through law school. Why do people think that they can learn to fight, to defend the most important thing in the world, their life? Why do they think they can learn it in, in, in a weekend? Yeah. 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 I mean, I know assholes that were, you know, given cert- certifications. You were level one certified in their style after a weekend seminar. I mean, they should be shut down for doing stuff like that, you know? And I, mean, and, and just... I think the, the problem that people don't really think about is, okay, so let's, not that it's necessarily true, but let's say in, in one weekend you could teach somebody one move that's crippling. Let's, let's call the double wrist lock, right? Yeah, the hooking right. style of it rips your arm out. So let's say we spend 12 hours in a weekend and we study that one hold and you master it. Okay, how are you going to get it on? Yeah, and that's right. what people don't even think about. It's like you—it's not necessarily uh, takes years to perfect a move, but to learn the ability to get people from the position where they're attacking you to be able to use the things that you've learned—that's the parts that people don't study. It's like uh, you go to a seminar and they say, "Oh, well, I'm going to teach you three ways to protect yourself." Okay, well, if they block the first one, how are you going to get to the second one? 
Yeah. <laughs> they don't think about that. And so that's what, like, I think that it, it, why it's important to dedicate the years because you, it's not just learning moves. It's learning how to, to win the position to be able to control somebody and then to put them into the position you need to, to finish the fight. That does not come in a weekend. Yeah. No, I, I met a guy who, who, who uh, took a weekend pool, shooting pool, took a weekend course with some guy, excellent instructor. The guy was, the instructor was world, very good player, you know, um, top 50 maybe in the country, you know, uh, Fargo rate. And, uh, but this guy was, and, and his, in, in his instruction was amazing. Spent like, you know, 25 hours or something over the course of a weekend. Well, it's pool, so you can do it. You know, it's, it's not mm-hmm. like hard work like what we do. But anyway, the guy was anxious to get on the pool table. I didn't even play him. I was just watching him. He was getting blown out by everybody. All right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he learned a lot, but okay. Now it's going to take you X amount of months or years to put all that knowledge together. And then it's just a small portion. Yeah. There's a bigger picture here. You can't cram it in. You know, um, it's like going to a buffet. You can't eat. Well, maybe Joe can, but you can't eat everything on the buffet. All the quantities and stuff. Joe, Joe won't do it because of his looks. Joe, you want me to say it, Joe? Because you know you say it yourself. I, it, you were talking about, you know, doing every time you look in the mirror and you and you you, you give your spiel. That's Joe. Hi, I'm Joe Cardinal. I'm beautiful. I'm wow. You know. I'm going to be late for work, but I, I got to look at the mirror, man. God, it's beautiful. Well, That's I mean, Joe's I take, thing. I take your lessons to heart. You've got to <laughs> yeah. put the work in. You've got to put, put the, the work in. in. Yeah. Right? It's that positive reinforcement, Joe. You've got to live it. You've got to be immersed in it. Yeah. You know, whether it's grappling or personal beauty. You, have yeah. to, you, know, you can't just be jumping around and, and focused on all kinds of different things. You've got to find your thing and focus on it to be great. So, and Joe's, Joe's trying to learn how to get the, the people into it. He, he needs to be able to get them excited so they'll come down Saturday night and support him and, and give them the extra yeah. strength sure, he right. needs. Tonight, this Saturday, I'm washing my hair. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't do it without your support, right, so right. be there. <laughs> but socially distant, socially distant. Yes, yes, yes. No, Joe, Joe is great. Have you guys um, uh, contracted the COVID? My friend did. Oh, by the way, yeah, my friend Scott is with his hip replacement. He is mandatory two more weeks uh, or two weeks uh, of uh, more lockdown. No, I did not catch COVID, thankfully, but I know people who have passed away from it. Mm-hmm. And uh, my friend Scott caught it and his father caught it from Scott and his father is 89 years old. Uh, and, uh, you know, Scott caught the COVID pneumonia post COVID uh, uh, whatever it is, and uh, yeah, he, he's struggling, but he fell and broke his hip, and now he's in, you know, rehab for his hip. What is he had his hip replaced uh, last week? So, um, and he they couldn't let him go home. Uh, yeah, I don't, you know, but regardless, whatever it is that you you have, it, you know, you gotta gotta put your effort, all your effort into anything. Sickness may hinder you physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully it won't hinder you mentally. So you work on your mental aspects of it. If your mental aspects aren't there because of concentration issues or memory problems or, you know, brain injuries, yeah, then, then, you know, it may not work out for you, you know? So the mind is really got to try to keep it sharp and got to 
really try to protect your, your, your head, man, protect that brain. I wish I would have known more about that years ago. I wouldn't have had the issues that I have with it if the world knew. But my one doctor was the same doctor that Muhammad Ali had. And Brian, beneath Venom, and I'm pretty sure, yeah. And um, he told me back then, this was in 2003 or 2002, uh, people won't start paying attention to brain injuries until, until it starts happening in football or or soccer or something. Boy, was he prophetic. Yeah, yeah. he was 100% yeah. right. But, you know, uh, he um, he was from Atlanta. He worked with some wrestlers down there, too, I think. But he had come up to Illinois. This wasn't actually – I wasn't in a hospital here. I was in a hospital in Springfield, Illinois, um, for the last time because they had to take me off of a butt, uh, off the train because I, I had a medical health – medical issue. So, yeah, uh, and I had known about it previous to that in, two, in 1993, you know. So, I mean, it was just like, wow, I show, and I was young. I'm like, About the concussions in 93? Yeah, I had an aneurysm, yeah. But the, yeah. Yeah, the, the concussions and all of that, and I had post-concussion syndrome and all that, many concussions, and it, it just, and, you know, you have a lot of issues. Some, and it affects people differently. Some, they slur their speech. Mm-hmm. Others, you have the memory, like with me, or my hands shake a little. It's all because of that, you know. Uh, you don't know where it's going to go, but you know, it's, it's probably what they call CTE, you know, um, who knows chronic traumatic encephalopathy. They only know that postmortem, but like a lot of football players are being diagnosed with that. A lot of pro wrestlers had it, you know, you know, you know, the bumps, you know, that you take and like, you know, just overall, you know, we like you, you know, you, you put yourself through a lot of hard shit, you know, you, I hope you're going to be okay. Now I you're young. So well, I, hope so I watch those videos now when I was like 19 getting hit in the head with steel, like legit steel chairs as hard as we thought it was, <laughs> it was uh, uh, awesome. If a guy could swing a chair at someone, break the chair in one hit. And uh, I look at those videos now it's, and knowing what we know about concussions, it's, it's cause I knew I had concussions because I lost memory. Like I would yeah. be at a wrestling show and that's the, thing I know be at home. And, um, and I was doing it at a really young age. Luckily, um, probably by the age of 23, 24, that was, we started to learn about concussions and I thought, Oh, maybe I won't be getting hit in the head three or four times a match with a chair. Um, it's, uh, and I think a lot of the wrestlers that, uh, were wrestling professionally in like 95 in that era, doing a lot of that stuff. Uh, you see the Japanese wrestlers who are getting cracked in the head with five or six different chairs in a mat. Yeah. yeah. And um, the funny thing is, is that no one believes it. Everyone's like, that's just a fake chair. <laughs> and so that's, it, it that's makes what I always wonder. Thought. I yeah, always thought it was like some kind of like a, you know, thin aluminum or something that bends real easy. Nigo, my, my trainer was Supreme. He was my pro wrestling trainer and he was a tough guy and he actually just passed away this year. And, um, Sorry. He would make us go out to Home Depot and buy the thickest chairs that we could find. He wouldn't, I mean, if it was just a regular thin chair, he wouldn't use it. He'd go out. There was these specific chairs we had to buy from Costco. They'd be four in a box and they were thick. I mean, you, you had to swing those things really, really hard to get them to dent and they would beat each other over the head with those things. And, um, that's the part that always made me feel the most strange because we, we are in there 
at least the SoCal wrestling crew trying to make everything real and dangerous. And, you know, um, we were breaking bottles over each other's heads. Supreme would only use the Heineken bottles because they, huh. they were harder to break. Um, you know, cause I was always like, well, let's use the Corona ones they are thinner. No, 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 no. You got to use the Heineken ones. And, um, no one believed any of it. They all thought it was fake glass, fake chairs, fake barbed wire. And yeah, I take my shirt off and my arms are scarred up with, you know, the, um, uh, the aftermath of all that. Um, I dated a lot of women like that, man. Just fake. <laughs> you know, it was all, oh, wasn't that great? It was fake. You know, I didn't know it, but yeah. yeah. I, you know. <laughs> You got to stay away from those Japanese uh, uh, wrestlers, women wrestlers. Yeah, Andre, um, what's the, what's the like some of the craziest stunts you've done? Well, the one I did on MTV, um, because I'm not a, a huge fan of heights, uh, and you could probably see it on YouTube, uh, where I was uh, thrown by this wrestler named Ricky Medeiros from like uh, the top of a. We were filming uh, that show at the uh, Desi Arnaz uh, studio in Burbank. And uh, they stacked these, um, these, they, they look like the, the, those box cars. They put on the back of semi trucks, but they were bigger and they stacked them three or four high. And um, we, who's that? There was the uh, good Charlotte was, was playing because it was MTV. The way they would do the show is a band would play like half a song when the show started and then they would go do commentary and then the show would happen. And then I think they would play out the show if I recall. And um, they had stacked these like five or six tables up um, next to um, one of the edges of the building. And then the, the plan was that I was going to get thrown off the top of it and go through the, the table. So I went up there and I positioned the tables wh where I wanted them to be. And then, um, you know, I'll go backstage and start the show. Now the show's, a, you know, to the uh, shock and dismay of the people that are filming the show who wanted us to do each match four or five times so they can get different angles. We're like, no, this is like boxing. It happens <laughs> once you shoot it, you miss it. You're fucked. So we go back there, they're shooting the show. Uh, I come out to do the, the part and I get up there and Ricky Medeiros tells me in his broken English, they moved the tables. And I'm like, what? And he's like, he moved the tables, look, and he punched me and like threw me to the floor. And I roll around. I'm like, holy shit. So I had the tables like pretty close to the edge. So I could just kind of fall over the edge. I guess they had pushed them out because something to do with filming the, the band. They were in the way. So they pushed them out about four feet. So uh, he's like, what are we going to do? And I'm like, throw me. Let's Man. hope I get them. <laughs> so, uh, um, he goes for the spot and you can see it on the video where he kind of grabs me and kind of pauses. Like he doesn't want to do it. So I was like, fuck it. I kind of threw myself and I hit one, the first table. I think I kind of hit the second table and then I hit the ground. Oh, and uh, that was the only time in wrestling that ever knocked the wind out of myself. And I literally couldn't breathe. And then I had piece, the pieces of the wood that um, I hit from the table fell down and hit me on the face. So I had blood coming out of my face and which isn't new, but it was because a table hit me and cracked my face open. I believe and you then, showed me that clip when I was at your yeah, house. Yeah, I probably did. Yeah. Um, and then um, luckily, because I was like literally unable to breathe. I mean, it was a really, it was had to be more than 20 feet. And I barely caught two of the tables coming down. And um, they put the oxygen mask on me. And it was like, whatever, that's the first time, the only time I've ever had an oxygen mask on my face, I was able to catch my breath. And after that, I was okay, even though, uh, I was walking kind of uh, 
um, uh, odd. But then they put me in this this room, and I'd never heard of Good Char- Charlotte before. And these guys come in, these like twins, and they're like, "That was so awesome! I can't believe that. That was you're my favorite wrestler now." And I looked at my promoter, I'm like, "Can you get these fucking marks out of here? Who the guy, who are these guys?" And it was literally was like talking about how like Andre threw Good Charlotte out of the. Uh, I was like, "Who? I, I just thought that they were fans. I didn't realize that they were like uh, performers or anything." So. Um, that was probably like as far as uh, as before I did it, realizing if something went bad, it probably wouldn't go over well. That was it. It probably isn't the thing that the fans, like people who were there, saw as as being the most crazy thing. Um, did you break bones on that one? Not that I'm aware of. No. Uh, <laughs> in fact, uh, I wrestled. I want to say two days later because we were doing the. Uh, the whole season in like 10 days. So we were filming shows in the morning and the afternoon. And uh, that taping was an evening taping, if I recall. And then the next day I was off the next morning I had a wrestle and um, I, I was really, really having a hard time walking. And um, so the guy I was working, he works for AEW now too, Scorpio sky. Um, I went to him and I was like, uh, I think that you need to work my back because there's just no way I'm going to be able to not uh, make it uh, known that my back really hurts. So he says, okay. So our plan was I'll roll, I'll slide in the ring. You need to start kicking the shit out of my back and backbreakers and everything. And I, it seems like something you wouldn't want to do. Right. But the thing is, is that if I can't bump without being excruciating pain, in my lower back, he has to go after it. Yeah. So the only way to make that, so, you know, they put over in the commentary that, you know, three weeks ago he fell off this freaking roof, but it was actually three days ago, two days ago. And um, they say, yeah, he's, he's still hurt. And so, you know, again, you watching the match, you probably think I'm just selling and, you know, trying to look convincing, but um, he whipped me from, he picked me up and I forgot exactly what happened. But I remember he whipped me like into the buckle, which is a bump I've, I take a million times, but uh, I hit that buckle and I fell and I was like, I don't know if I can stand up. Like it was, it was just, I was in a lot. I would probably say that was probably the worst pain I've ever wrestled in. How are you not in a wheelchair right now? I don't understand taking that kind of punishment. That is unnatural, man. Yeah. um, That's funny because I had like bulging discs when I was like 23 and my doctor said, you're definitely going to be in a wheelchair if you don't stop. And I did stop, but uh, actually, I don't know if it's just I got more um, – part of it is probably because I took long breaks, actually, because I was actually wrestling pro when I was in law school, but um, halfway through, I stopped because I was getting close to the point where I knew I was going to take the bar exam. And so, I, you know, at 20, probably seven, I took three or four years off, and then I took time off before that as well. Um that may have helped, but uh, I could tell you, and this is no no joke. Um, there hasn't been a night this year that I have not woken up in the middle of the night with, with excruciating pain in my back. And that's concerning to me because that didn't start happening until this year. 2019, I don't think I remember ever saying I have lower back pain. And so that came on very quickly. And I'm wondering if it's because I put on a lot of weight because of COVID, because I don't, 
get out as much anymore. Part of me wonders if it's because I stopped training because of COVID. I think it's I, both. I, yeah. Because, you know, everyone said you need to stop doing that shit because you're going to kill yourself. And I'm wondering if because I kept training at least um, that it wasn't like keeping me strong enough so that I didn't feel that. So I, I was, that was one of the reasons why I hit Tony up a couple of weeks ago. Cause I was like, I need to get back to training. And if I'm going to train, it's only one thing I want to do. Yeah. And, and you can do it, you know, and, and the weight will make a difference, you know, because as your joints and, you know, I have, you know, I have the low back issues. So when I'm lighter, not lifting heavy, I feel much better. Yeah. You know, and for me, it, it could be five or seven pounds. that makes the difference. You know, you know, cause I, it, you're right. And, um, it's, it's just strange to me. Cause like, I would take these like crazy falls when I was wrestling in Las Vegas. Uh, like the third week I was there, I took a bump from the, from the apron to the concrete or no, no, no. I was actually on the concrete floor. So I, I came and I took a bump and I was standing on the standing up and they had no padding on the floor there. And I bumped onto the concrete and the promoter said, I want you to do that every week. <laughs> so literally Every week I wrestled in Las Vegas, which was nine months, every Friday, I had to take at least one standing bump, standing up, taking a hit, and, and taking a full-on back bump onto the concrete. And then toward the end, because I knew I was headed out, I actually did a couple times where I was standing on the ring apron, and I took a straight fall to the ground. And the thing is, is that it's in the training. Like, I wrestled, I trained with Supreme, who, was, who taught me, this is what I always told people, Supreme taught me how to be tough. The very first day I trained with him, he punched me in the face. He, not a work punch, not a, let me show you how to punch. He punched me in the face as hard as he could because he wanted to see if I really wanted to train. And then he made me take clotheslines from him for the next 30 minutes without ever teaching me how to fall, without teaching me how to take a, a clothesline. And then after like 45 minutes, and I think he kind of realized, I beat the shit out of this guy. He's still getting up, but he's also kind of wearing thin. He's like, okay, I think you really want to be a wrestler. Come back next week and I'll start teaching you. Yeah, that's how Supreme taught. He taught me to be tough. I mean, uh, from a guy who always felt like he had a, 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 a really high pain tolerance, he drove me to the limit each and every week. And that's how I trained my kids. Tony, uh, I remember when we were, because um, you're pretty rough too, uh, when you're with the, a guy that, you know, wants to be serious. And I remember when I was taking Max out to the school and I was stretching him, you're like, God, be careful with them. We're just, we're just working out. And I'm like, it's just, it's how I was trained to be, to, to not so much hurt somebody, but take them to the, to the, to the cusp, to the cusp of it. And, um, but in all those um, years that I was doing that, I, I, you would hurt. I, I'm not saying that you wouldn't, you would hurt. You would bump on Friday and you would feel it Saturday, but by Tuesday I was always feeling okay. So, um, and I don't know if that's because, I learned how to fall. I don't know if that's the, the high pain tolerance. I don't know if that's because I, I don't know what to attribute that to, but I, I I've become quite concerned because, you know, when COVID, uh, you know, started to shut everything down last year, I decided to reformulate my, my law practice. Tony, you remember when uh, you were down in San Diego, I think the last time I had just gone off on my own. Yes. I remember, remember you telling me that you're really concerned. Like, do you have a plan for this? And um, so I told you, yeah, I, I have a plan. And I told you what it was. And you said, okay, I'm glad you have a plan because you're doing really good things with the firm you're with. And, you know, you've not been a lawyer, you know, that many years. I think it was 
five or six years at the time. Well, I probably should have took your advice because, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I had a plan, but then things change. And the laws that I was using to on the civil side of my practice started to change because the court started to apply them differently. And um, so it took me a couple of years to really start to adjust to that. And um, what I decided to do when um, COVID hit is I said, I'm going to rip everything like a car, take everything apart, examine it all and put it back together. And, you know, it worked because now my, my, my business is actually doing way better than it was at any point in time. And that's right. during COVID, during right. COVID. 2019 was my most, or 2020 was my most profitable year ever going solo and actually better than any year did it at the firm. So, but the, the other side of that is I neglected everything else. I neglected myself. I neglected training. I neglected, um, and it kind of goes back to what you were talking about. It's like, if you really want to, to be good at something, you have to give it your all. And so I spent this whole year ripping this thing apart, rebuilding it. And now I'm thinking, you know, I, I think it's time for me to get back to training because. Um, I'd love it if you would. You have the ability. You have the skill. Because the thing is, if you don't train your body, you can't train your mind. Your yeah. body goes, it all goes. And so uh, I still never got through the lucky 13. Yeah, no, don't feel bad. But uh, I'll tell you something, Andre. You know, yeah, that day I was going to email you and I had my laptop open and boom, you're, there's an email from you. I mean, it was just, it freaked me out. I got, I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, because that's, that's just bizarre. Cause I literally opened up my laptop to email you and there's an email from you. I'm like, I can't believe this. I freaked out, but you know, I wish you would get back into working out little baby steps, you know, work your way into it, you know, and within, within six weeks, you'll be like, wow. And then within, within, uh, Let's see, four, eight, twelve, not three months. Yeah, you'll you'll be pretty pretty fit. It doesn't take forever. You're not looking for the uh, set a world record here, but man, it'd be great. Um, yeah, and, and you know, you always have an open invitation to come here. I got room. I've changed everything around. This is the basement that you see. Last time you were here, we had the world's worst pizza. Um, but yeah, <laughs> wait, wait, I we had Nancy's. Oh, you meant all oh, the no. pizza we had while playing cards? Yes. Oh my God, that stuff was nasty. <laughs> They think it's great in this town. This little, this ain't Chicago now. This is a little freaking rural thing. It, it, wow. It's the worst pizza ever. That yeah, was got, really bad. Oh, man, I got yelled at by, you know, because I said, oh, it's the worst pizza ever. Oh, you don't know pizza. I don't know pizza. <laughs> I mean, coming from Chicago, you're telling me I don't know pizza? Come on. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it, it was great to, you know, hear from you and shit, you know. Um, it, but COVID is kicking everybody's butt in a way. Training will always be different now. People have found out mostly that they can get, they can get, you know, do other things in life. Yeah. Um, but I think this distance thing, this uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, virtual is going to be the wave of the future for a lot of industries. And absolutely. I, I mean, yeah, no, I think it's going to be great. I'm going to do a couple more things. I'm going to experiment down here with, uh, you know, for, I, I want to, told you, I want to start this like monthly membership thing, or I don't know yet, you know, um, we want to get cranking in March, um, yeah. like a subscription thing. And, you know, just obviously I'm by myself, so I'm going to show a lot of solo moves. And it's good because there's a lot of people out there that are also by themselves, you know, especially now they have a problem with a training partner or this or that. And even if you have a training partner, I could still work with you, you know, um, not a big deal. And 
uh, the boys do come out now and then. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, you still over there by the lake, that beautiful lake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, well, it's all full of snow and ice now, but uh, it's a bad winter. But uh, I I'll never not- remember the first time that we, uh, me and Max, went out to Chicago, and he was like, "What is that white stuff?" It was like it snows. So yeah, he, yeah. he wanted to make a snow angel, but yeah. he didn't realize that it like melted. So he like took a bump into the ice and it didn't budge. Oh, and that was so like funny! Waving his arms, oh, trying to make a snow. We we got done training, and I was taking you on your tour of Chicago, and I got that damn email that I got hacked at yeah at from PayPal. PayPal, they wiped me out. They took every penny I had. Uh, some, and then you're like, "Don't worry, I'll help you out." And you know, then we had to come all the way back here so I could talk to the cops. And the cops are like, "Well, we can't help you." Oh man. Yeah, I was what prepared to bring a big old lawsuit, but they gave you your money back, thank God. Yeah, a couple of weeks later, I got the money back. Yeah, and you know, and the, and the police never, I told the I told the one police officer that I talked to, I told her, I said, look, when you, because they, they had the guys on film, the guy on film, I'm like, I'll calm down. This guy was like miles and miles away from where I live, you know, two hours maybe. I said, I'll come to court. I'll, let's get this guy. You know, he's been ripping people off. Let's get him. But I never heard back from the from them, so whatever. From the uh, Apple Store, I remember that. Yeah, it was the Apple Store. You know, it's store. funny never... you say that because just yesterday I got a big oh, file yeah. of a, from a woman who just had her entire checking account wiped out through a PayPal account. So well, uh, I'm going to be helping her out. Good, man. Uh, yeah, no, I don't – I've never been in an Apple Store in my life. You know, I use only, you know, Android products and just Windows, yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, Yeah, I mean, that's just the way it is. But, yeah, uh, I, Maximiliano – I, I liked him, man. He was, hey, he went, he enrolled in law school or something, right? He's, he's following me to law school. He says, yeah, I followed you to wrestling. I'm going to follow you to law school. So uh, he, he isn't there yet, but he says he's going to do it. He's finishing up his, his undergrad. I think he finishes this year or next. And wow. um, yeah. And, and going back to the distance learning, th- uh, t- uh, speaking of law school, you know, my, the law school that I teach at right now is the one that I graduated from. And uh, I was trying to encourage them to go online. And um, the dean there, he's really old school. He, he's an absolute genius when it where comes to Where did you go? Uh, uh, you went to Absorbing Junior College? Is that where you went? Or? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Never mind. Um, but, uh, you know, I was trying to convince them to go online, and then they were forced online because of the COVID thing. And now they've actually um, have restructured the whole school to stay as a 100% online law school. And so you're right. It, it, it really is the future for so many things. Well, Phoenix University was doing that online. Yeah, so they were doing before, that Yeah, you know, I mean, before it was cool. Before it was cool, yeah. But, you know, for me, uh, I told this – I just made a tape about – or a video on YouTube about this a few weeks – a couple of weeks ago about I can if, – if I'm watching you live, sometimes it, things happen so quickly or I can't catch it can't get to the angle it gets missed it, right it gets missed with video if you if, if you're the student and you capture the video properly you know i can see it and i can review it over and over and important more importantly i can show you look at yourself yeah. look what you're doing wrong because sometimes i can tell you something and we're all like this we're a little stubborn i didn't do that he's wrong i didn't do that then when you see yourself yeah. you're like oh shit okay he's right well, so, if you remember um, at my school, we had three cameras set up yes. on the ring. And that was why, because I yep. would take them and show them what it was that was um, uh, they were doing wrong. And they got more out of that than me screaming at them. Don't leave your foot on the feet when you take your bump or whatever, whatever yeah. I'm screaming yeah. at them about. Well, no, that's the way it is. And, you know, and I, I in a way, you know, I, I don't have my gym, but this is great because I can come down here to my basement and got room and 
I just hope, you know, I hope the Tri-C program picks up. I think one of the problems is people don't know about these podcasts and they don't know about the YouTube channel, even though I got, you know, several thousand subscribers. I, I don't think they're aware of it. And I don't know, for 30, 20 years, 25 years I've been online, I, I know nothing about marketing. And yeah. the leg- Tom Antion tried to help me. I got to call him. I forgot. He wants me to get in touch with him. I got to email him. He, um, you know, brought me out there. He came here for training and then he... I came out there to do his marketing course and yeah, it just, I just, you know, I don't have the aptitude for it. Some people just don't, you know, I have a hard time with it. So I think that's, I've always said you're the best kept secret. (laughs) Well, let's get the secret out. out. Yeah. Let's get the secret (laughs) out, man, because I'd love, I'd like to make a, you know, I'm tired of not being able to, you know, (laughs) I just, we got to do it. So somehow it'll, it'll change, but um, you've been very gracious. You've been one of the fellows that has helped me through the years, through these, you know, since, you know, Kevin got killed in the gym and everything. I missed that guy. That. He was such oh, he was a, one of a kind. One of a kind. Nobody ever like him again, man. I we we had a podcast a little bit about him, but one day we'll do a, you know, we'll, we'll you know we'll dedicate a podcast to him. Yeah. But no, you guys like you, Nico and Joe and all the guys that that I've you know had on the show here. Well, except for Nico's brother, I never met him, but all have been great, top of the line people, man, and I. You know, we're all getting older and, you know, times are changing. The industry's changing. And, you know, uh, I just wish, I wish there were some people that really wanted to learn the hardcore, the old style, the real deal, you know, and, and you know, especially for guys who know that they're never going to be a competitive athlete because of life. Um, yeah. They might want to learn other things. Well, I can help them with that too. And, you know, we'll just see how it goes. But yeah, I think it's just a matter of getting the word out there. Cause uh, I could tell you, um, you came out to uh, East LA once to train and you were a bigger fan. You know, my students loved you. They all they talked about you for years until the end was you. And they're um, great guys. And guys. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I think it's just a matter of, of exposing you. I, I never understood how uh, you never really, people re- really found the gym that exists and the ability that exists. Uh, the, the asset that you are, and I, I, you're a friend of mine, but, you know, I only met you because of I knew who you were. I knew from from sources that I trusted that you were the real deal. And as good as you are as a fighter, you're a better person. But oh, truly, truly, truly. Um, Thank you. We, I, if, if anybody uh, really wants to learn how to fight, conditioning, weightlifting, boxing, all those things. Uh, you're you're the only choice in my mind, and I think that uh, you know, and maybe you know, offline we can all collaborate because I think that what you three are doing here is great. I've become a big fan. I didn't know you had a podcast. I'm not a big podcast fan, but I started mm. doing the uh, a law podcast for like uh, street law for people. You know, the yeah, law I listen people- to them. Thank you. They're awesome. Yes. Um, and uh, so I've been uh, uh, really enjoying uh, the, the, the conversational conversations you guys have been having and a uh, big fan. And Joe, uh, I, I miss working out with you. We'll, we got to get together and do it some more. Oh, uh, yeah. Joe's good. Joe's very talented. He's, yeah, I'm going to be setting up tables for when you come back. <laughs> good job. And I'm going to be waiting tables, right? I'll be a waiter in an Italian restaurant. Yeah, I mean, about you, Nico. But one day we got to do it, bro. We got to do yeah, it. Yeah, Nico. Day. Nico's an awesome yeah, guy. That'd, that'd be great. 
Um, yeah, it's just about exposure, I guess, like you say. You know, I, I was always more of the technical guy. That, you know, my last name should have been Serafini, like the great drummer, because, you know, I've been burned by so many people, I'm on fire. That's another thing. You get burned, people lie, they smear you. Yeah. It's all bullshit. I don't, you've been through it. I've been, been through, through that it. a lot. I, get I knew it. somebody. That's why I, don't, I, I got out of the business. I just I got well, tired of it. I won't I mention this guy's name, but I, I knew somebody. Uh, here he was a bartender. I met when I met him, but he was a pro wrestler, and I I knew him when he was a bouncer and someplace. I don't want to give away too much information because he's a very private guy, and that's exactly what had to happen. You know, he he went really underground, private, mm-hmm. because you know in the wrestling, the pro wrestling world, you know there was shit being said about him that just wasn't true, and he was one of yeah. the nicest guys. I lost touch with him because like I told you he he went underground, and mm-hmm. um, uh, but he was well known and in the Chicago wrestling circles and maybe other circles as well, professional wrestling, but a hell of a nice guy. Matter of fact, he wanted to do a show and he wanted me to do a, uh, a shoot match on there. You know, it never happened because I guess he never, he went underground, you know, before yeah. this could ever, but um, that would have been cool because yeah, I would have been able to finally just, uh, you know, on a professional wrestling show, not, not do professional wrestling, just go in there. You know, I told him I would do it, but I says, I'm going to finish the fight in less than 60 seconds, it's going to be over. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to show the world, you know, it's boom, like, 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 like I do in the gym. It would have been boom. And that was like back when I was still peaking, you know, I was like, we're talking about uh, when I was about 40, 41, 42, where I was still fast and everything and strong. Um, yeah, that would have been great. But, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, that was yeah, the goal that I really had there at the end was trying to get like wrestling back to its roots. And to get people to really understand that wrestling came from a very vicious fighting style. And then, you know, I mean, if you go back to the Olympics, the one time that they uh, allowed, uh, I don't know if it's the one time, but when they allowed catch wrestling in the Olympics, and then they said, I think there's an LA Times article that said it was like synonymous, like dog fighting, um, because it was so violent. Um, It's a... it's uh it's certainly like i said if, if it's just sport you just want to uh work out to to live and work out for fitness it's a great it's a really really great useful thing to to know but it's got so many other applications and um and if you're in the you know pro wrestling i would recommend that you pick up the knowledge of the history of the sport of pro wrestling from the last person that has it and that comes straight from Luthes himself yeah, he was a great guy. I miss him. You know, I was in the hospital when he passed away. They wouldn't tell me. Nobody would tell me. Javier, none of them, because I wasn't doing so good. So they were worried, worrying that I would have a, a relapse or a breakdown or some shit like that. And I found out afterwards, you know, which I was talking to him when I was in, a, in the hospital. You know, he called me up. We were talking. And then he had a heart procedure. And, uh, you know, yeah, that was the thing. So, you know, great guy but he got really really mellow you know i mean a lot yeah. of people told me he's mellow you should have seen him you know 30 years ago or whatever 20 years ago and i read some articles interviews he was you know he told it he was complimentary when it needed to be but he 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 told it like it is you know yeah. uh, on certain wrestlers he says you know i'll stretch the guy you know there's just no chance he has no chance um and lou was really the like i've said this before he always kept fit he didn't let himself go you know yeah. he kept himself in shape and you know Radvan while he was never muscular uh he was the strongest man I ever met grip and everything he was doing feats of strength in the 70s in his in his 70s um this is my inspiration these were my inspirations you know Radvan and then uh Kevin 
that got killed. I mean, you saw that. Yeah. I mean, he was amazing. Kevin's a and, tough guy. He was. Oh yeah. Kevin's like a man's man. He reminds me oh, of like yeah. an old fifties like. Yeah. Cigar smoking, yeah. like still working. He'd worker. be hitting a heavy bag with a cigar in his mouth. It was classic. <laughs> I mean, really. But Lou, Lou was the last, you know, the, you know, that. So a lot of the wrestlers that I knew, the older, they're gone now. They were never in shape. They were all, they let themselves go. They were this or that, crippled. You know, Lou had hips replaced and all that jazz, but he was still fit. You know, we were lifting weights at his place, you mm-hmm. know, in, in, his, in, his, in the health club there. And, uh, you know, I said, this is how I'm going to be, you know. Uh, God willing, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, unless I have a crippling injury, you know, so um, now when the COVID hit, I couldn't go to the gym, but I watched my weight. I, I did my little, some, some exercises here and, you know, I just, you know, I'm kept in shape, you know, and that's, that's important. You know, um, there's no excuse, five, 10 pounds for me. All right. That's, that's when I got to, you know, bring it down. And, and normally I don't gain that much weight, but sometimes you just do. And I, I, I monitor it. I, I, it's not a narcissist thing. It's just, I want to feel good about myself yeah. and I want to defend myself. I don't want to be gassed out and blown out. You know, I can't go like I did when I was 20. I'm almost 60 years old right now, but, um, you know, it, I just want to keep it going, man. I don't want to be like some others that, you know, in other walks of life that just, you know, let themselves go when they didn't need to, you know, yeah. I, I've seen some famous athletes. I'm not going to mention names. They're okay. I mean, they got the irregular injuries like, you know, I have, but they let themselves go. You know, they, they blew up and I'm like, God, man, why would you man, don't do that? It's just compounding all your, your health issues, you know? Um, so your joints can't take that extra weight, man. Yeah. I, I think that, um, the only way to keep your, 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 yourself strong and healthy is, and I'm learning that right now. I'm learning that firsthand. I, I, I guess I, I, took a year off and, you know, really mentally did a lot, but physically sat in a chair for 12 hours a day for a year straight, barely left my house. And uh, I'm glad for what I accomplished, but I also realized balance is important and, and being mm-hmm. healthy is important. And, you know, what better cardio workout is there than wrestling too? So yeah, um, it's anaerobic and everything. Yeah. Throw some boxing and wrestling together. You got it, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I guess we're going to have to start signing off. We went on a long one, a two-hour show today. I know Joe stayed longer than he needed to be. Yeah, sorry, Joe. No, we yeah, need my, to get you back on us. again. Well, I would appreciate it. Anytime yeah. you guys want, I'm, I'm always here. Yeah, so. because next time we can talk about different things, you know, um, maybe some of the funny stories that you've met, people and incidents and stuff. And, you know, that would be great. But I do – I just want to tell everybody out there – that you know, he put on a. Andre was an, a, not only just a great entertaining professional wrestler, he was also a great wrestling instructor and a warm, knowledgeable, very generous human being. Um, he's helped me out in spots in my life, and he's like a guardian angel in that regard. Um, you can't find a better guy, and I know from what other people told me, he's like a kid, but he's he's a super lawyer. He's a super lawyer. He's one of those. He's going to be famous, trust me, and not infamous. He'll be famous uh, in his law career. Something's going to happen, believe me, in a good way. I, I have that belief in you, man. I believe in you. Thanks, Tony. I appreciate it. I, I mean it. So, Nico, I want to thank you again, and hopefully I can see you soon. And hopefully now that maybe I can get my car out by the weekend. It's been iced in. It hasn't moved in five weeks, um, and I need to get it out. Uh, 
I, uh, you know, my friends, uh, Holly and her and Piff, they, they brought, um, some rock salt bags. So I will throw them down tomorrow and we're supposed to have forties for the next three days. I'm, I'm hoping that that'll at least get my car out. Um, so I 75 can, and sunny here in California. Why don't you <laughs> shut up? Cut him off. Cut the audio. I don't want to hear the 75 <laughs> degrees. Yeah. Go have a taco or something. You know, I mean, just, I hey, can't even get a good plan. Yeah. I can't have that where I'm at. I can't, they don't even have good, good Mexican food over here, man. We got nothing. I got to get back to Chicago, man. I'm dying for some, you know, taco burrito King so I can have my Mexican breakfast and then go to some of the restaurants I like are gone. But anyway, we will say that for the next time, but um, I want to thank everybody. I want to thank Joe for, as always looking, <laughs> I mean, yeah, what can I say? It's sickening. You know, um, you're just like you said, in the words of Joe Cardinal, I'm a beautiful man. Yeah, you are Joe. I couldn't agree with you more. And Nico, you're the, uh, the boisterous one. You're the, you're the, you're the loud one. Um, but I'm glad help to see it. your, huh? I can't help it. You know what I mean? See how, see how he is. See that projection. <laughs> see how loud he's overwhelming. All right, guys. We will. It's very uh, commanding. Very commanding. Yes. Yes. Speaking of commands, another hottie was uh, Barbara Eden. Every week we have to mention somebody. She was very attractive. You know, with her commands. Yes, master. Huh. Oh, oh. All right. I'll see you guys next week. All right. Have a good one, guys. Thank you so much for having me. And you guys uh, have a good week. Thanks for coming on, Andrew. Or and- Thank you. I'm sorry, Andre. Thank <laughs> you.